Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado runs through episode 16 of the podcast, and this episode is going to be all Q&A all the time. There is not time for anything else because we've now gone, I think, a couple of months without doing a Q&A, and so quite a few have built up. And as always, for the Q&A portion of the podcast, I am joined by Jen. Hello! Hi, honey pie. And I think Gertie's coming to join us as well. Gertie is coming to join us yep, as well? here is the Gertie. Oh, wow, what a coinkydink. Hey, Gert. Hey, Gerstel. She says, what? This is not particularly exciting for people to listen to. Let <laughs> uh, I me mean, uh, try to do it as an exciting radio play. Gert. No, I'm not going to. Uh, but anyway. Okay. Sorry about that, folks. We're here to talk about your questions. And as always, when I do Q&A, it's going to be divided into two halves. First will be the questions that have come in that have something to do with board games and or Rotto Runs Through. And then the second half will be questions that presumably have nothing to do with board games or Rotto Runs Through. And so people who are only here for the board games can go on ahead and skip that second half. And are you ready, Honey Pie? I believe that I am, yes. Um, okay, of course, we're going to start with the game stuff. So a lot of these won't necessarily be questions for Jen to answer, which is why... What are you doing over there? I can't see. She's sitting on the couch with her laptop. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm looking at Etsy. Okay, so apparently Jen will be shopping for Etsy I'm stuff. I'm not shopping, I'm updating my shop. Oh, I'm, Jen is I'm updating working. her shop. Hey folks, did you know Jen <laughs> has a, uh, an Etsy shop, which you can find uh, via www.jennifer.net, J-E-N-E-F-E-R.net. She makes wonderful glass objects. What a coincidence. That was, I had no idea what she was doing. I should have known. <laughs> you should have known. Her computer, she's always updating her shop. Yeah. Uh, actually, you just rolled out some cool pandemic supersets of glass the other day, didn't you? I did, yes. And yeah. uh, I just put some ogres up as well. Ogres. Ogres. Ogres, all right. Yes. Well, folks, you heard it here first. Although Woo. probably not, because by the time I get this up, it will be widely known that she put up the ogres. <laughs> but anywho, mm. wow, that took a little while. Mm. Tell you what, folks, hold on a second. We'll be right back with your questions and our answers. Okay, everybody, let's let's go. Let's do this thing. Starting with... Although, actually, hold on just a second. Oh, my goodness. This podcast, episode 16, is definitely going to go down as my... Ugh, ugh, do not remind me, because two terrible mistakes have been made in the recording of this, which you folks are now going to have to listen to. Mistake number one... Briefly into the podcast, Jen's mic started acting up and making this really, really terrible, loud, obnoxious hum. And so I've gone into Audacity and done my best to remove that, but it has made the overall sound quality drop a little bit. It's still listenable, and if you listen at a high enough volume, you can hear like still some buzz in the background, but hopefully... It's adequate. I'm sorry, folks. I've done my best. Jen and I talked about spending another two hours re-recording everything, but we just didn't have the strength to do it. So, bear that in mind. 
We're about to start, but the audio quality is going to be a little bit off. Problem number two. This was very, very goofy. It turns out Jen and I spent about an hour answering a whole bunch of game-related questions that we had already answered two months ago. And so we basically have just re-answered all the same questions. And so you don't need to hear that again. But here's the thing. Some people might enjoy that, might enjoy hearing those same questions answered with a, I don't know, 10 to 20% variance to see what Jen and I have thought over the ensuing two months. So what I've done is I have moved all of those repeat questions to the very, very end of this podcast. So what's going to happen right now is we are jumping into a few new game-related questions, just a few. Then, this big swath of personal, Jen's and my life story type questions. We're going to do quite a few of those because those are the ones we didn't get to two months ago. And um, I totally forgot and it just got myself all mixed up and we answered all those game questions anyway. So, it's going to be a few new game questions, then all the personal questions we didn't do two months ago. And then, if you're curious and you want to stick around, at the tail end will be... The repeat of all those game-related questions. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry about this, folks. I know it's silly, but are you ready? Are you comfortable? My apologies. Here we go. Uh, Leon has a question. If I were to design a board game, uh, what would it be? What would be my perfect game theme, gameplay-wise? Actually, if you go to faq.rado.com, that question has already been answered. As you might imagine, it's a frequently asked question. FAQ.rado.com. Next up, Paul says, I love the video from around the island. If another advent calendar for games is produced this year, will you give us another tour of Malta? Well, another one is going to be produced, but I don't know if I'm going to be picking it up or not. Uh, And, man, I mean, that was fun, but that was a lot of work. That was so much more work than I normally put into videos. (laughs) And as I mentioned earlier, I try to do things in the least... In the laziest way possible, and there was nothing lazy about that exercise, so I don't know. Plus, we hit all the good spots. Actually, that's not true. There's plenty of other good spots, but there aren't that many more spots we'd want to hit on Gozo. Yeah. So we'd have to go over to Malta. That's like a two-hour... No, that's like that takes up half a day, because it basically takes us two hours to get anywhere in Malta, and then two hours to get back home, because we got to do the ferry. you got to wait for the ferry. you got to wait for the ferry on both yeah. sides. The ferry itself is a half hour both ways. And then, you know, we've got to drive literally from one side of the country to the other, because we are literally as far away from everything in Malta as possible. Yeah. So, I don't know. Would you want to do that again? No, the country is tiny. Yeah. It's it's a wee bitty. But I think what we'd have to do if we were going to do that is we wouldn't do a daily thing. We would just go and do, film all of them. Well, that's what we ultimately did. Well, we didn't do that completely. We we did, we did that a little bit. I think we like did three or four at a time on Malta. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we just would spend the whole day doing it. Uh, yeah, and I don't then know. Do you want to go all the way to Dingley Cliffs or Busket Forest or? Oh, it's not. It's not that far. It's, it's not so that hard. far. Oh my goodness! It's an extra five minutes. It's so weird. We're Americans, and we are so <laughs> used to. Oh yeah, yeah. You got to drive twenty minutes to get to the grocery store, and now we're like, what? We can't walk there. I mean, our, our sense of my sense of scale, anyway, is completely yep. incompatible with my earlier life. Mm, that and it, I mean, gas is so expensive over here. It just seems like you always want to try and make make a good use of your trip, and get several things done on every trip that you take when you're in the car. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I think I think if you decide that there's enough in that box that you're interested in, 
that we can certainly do it. But um, all the easy, the low hanging fruit's been picked. Yeah, and in all honesty, I mean, I feel like it would just be repeating ourselves. You know, the same way people ask, hey, are you going to go to Gen Con again and do another run through of Gen Con? No, I've already done a run through of Gen Con. I mean, I don't know if I'd want to do another. I mean, it'd be, you know, I'd, I'd rather do something different. Okay. But I don't know what that would be. <laughs> um, well, but anyway, okay. so no, I wasn't planning on it, Paul. Moving on to Curtis. Curtis asks, why do you rate Kickstarter games differently than other games that you do run-throughs for? Why are their reviews inconsistent with your other run-throughs for non-Kickstarter properties? For example, Nippon you trash because it's too sandbox, yet Yokohama Kickstarter is praised for being sandbox. Every co-op in the world besides Pandemic in which you control more than one person, Fury of Dracula, Black Plague, I've never played a game called Black Plague, Oh, but anyway, uh, Imperial Assault, anything by Cool Mini or not, uh, you immediately disregard, in fact, refuse to even acknowledge, yet the Walking Dead Kickstarter is praised for its mechanism of controlling multiple people. I was really excited for your running through of Walking Dead. How would you weigh your disdain for its Ameritrash mechanisms, mechanics, he said, I just say mechanisms, with your love of its theme, and which would win? But... And, oh, yeah, that's what he was hoping I would talk about. But instead, you gave us a press release. Well, Curtis, I'm sorry to hear you think that way. I think I've already mentioned earlier in the show, if you do not feel my personal subjective opinions are of any value, please <laughs> disregard them. Watch the run-through yourself and decide for yourself. How the balance between Ameritrash mechanisms and theme integrate with, you know, whatever. The run-through is there. You don't have to pay attention to what I think. And if you feel that I am a shill just doing press releases, you know what to do. Skip the final thoughts. Problem solved. I just, you know, wipe my hands of it. But anyway, to your question. Um, I believe I'm going to have to disagree and I do not believe your examples make your argument very well. I do not treat Kickstarter properties any differently than commercially produced products. To me, they're all exactly the same. In fact, whenever anybody asks me, why do you do so many Kickstarter videos? Just do videos for published games. What's the difference? Um, what? Uh, you know, I could have just put out a video for Manhattan Project Energy Empire last week. Because it just came out, people are starting to do videos. I did one last year because I had the prototype for it. The game hasn't changed. You know, the, the, the visuals are nicer and all that. But I did a run-through of the gameplay, not the visuals. The video I did a year ago is just as meaningful. There's no difference. If I had done the run-through today, it would have been exactly the same as the one I did a year ago for the Kickstarter. So, I respectfully disagree with your opinion that I treat Kickstarters with kids' gloves. But let's talk about the two specific examples you gave. Nippon, I trash because it's sandboxy. Yokohama, which, by the way, for the record, Yokohama is a commercially released product. I did a run-through of a game you can buy in stores. It's on Kickstarter only for an additional broader distribution deal. But it's already a commercial release. So, But we'll put that aside. You say, I rip on Nippon for being sandbox. I praise Yokohama for being sandbox. 
I think you need to go back and listen to the video because I did not praise Yokohama for being sandbox. Yokohama is not a sandboxy game. Yokohama is the antithesis of a sandboxy game. And I think maybe you don't quite agree with me about what the definition of a sandboxy experience is. Now, I've talked about this at great length in prior uh, podcasts. Just go to podcast.rado.com. Do a search for the word sand, I bet. Let me just check this. Let me see. Rado talks through podcast.rado.com. Sand. Yes. There are, in fact, at least two episode 10 and episode 8 where I have talked about sandbox and games. And so you can go and listen to those and you will understand why I did not praise. Yokohama is not a sandboxy game. It is implicitly not. So, the other one you mentioned was, ah, okay, Walking Dead. Here's the thing. Well, actually, once again, I would recommend you go to my previous podcast. Which one? I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Star Trek X... No. Did I talk about this in a podcast? Honey, um... (sighs) Star Trek Expeditions. I know I've raved... Oh, no, no, no. It was in a top ten. Top ten solo games. Go back and watch my top ten solo games. The portion of that where I talk about Star Trek Expeditions, which is another game like Walking Dead, um, No Sanctuary, where I enthused about controlling multiple characters. And I explain in great detail in that top ten the circumstances under which I do or do not enjoy controlling multiple characters. The Star Trek Expeditions, which is a commercial release game. It has never been on Kickstarter, which I praise to high heaven in spite of the fact that I love playing it, controlling multiple characters. You can find out why if you go check out that top ten solo games. Everything I say there is 100% applicable to The Walking Dead. So, hopefully that um, addresses your concerns, Curtis. But if it does not, once again, in closing, just skip the final thoughts. They're worthless. Just watch the run-through. Draw your own conclusions. Moving on! Unless Jim would like to add something to that. That's, uh, that one was too hot to touch. <laughs> okay. Daniel asks... Scanning, scanning, scanning. Daniel is very verbose. Yes. Daniel says, I know you and Jen dislike confrontation, but does the starvation strategy or something similar or the harshness of games ever put you off? He's actually talking about how he wanted to love Agricola, but starving people is just too harsh. It's just too unforgiving. And, you know, know, couldn't, couldn't make a go of it. So how is it that we don't like confrontation, but we love Agricola? And uh, if you were not put off in Agricola, what, why? Well, first of all, here's the thing. Jen and I have no problem with harsh, unforgiving, unrelenting gameplay simulations. In fact, we like the challenge. We love a game that beats the crap out of us and says, look, figure out this problem or die. <laughs> Starve. I mean, we love Agricola. We love nations. We love... Miramis, uh, you know, I mean, games that we, we, you know, while some people dislike having to feed their people, we view that as a challenge and we rise to that challenge and we feel great and empowered solving the problem. And, you know, we, we love that pressure and that tension and that threat. We like that in games. You know, maybe me more than Jen because Jen, she does have like a, a threshold for it in cooperative games specifically, which always struck me as kind of weird. 
Because, I mean, in, in competitive games where the game is beating on her, I've never seen her blink. I've never seen her flinch. She's always been up for it. But when it's cooperative games, in something like Ghost Stories, it can become too much for her, which is like a whole other question. But anyway, <laughs> here's the thing. That has absolutely nothing to do with why we dislike confrontation. But it's an understandable mistake you would make. Most people assume when I say we don't like having games where there's a lot of attacking, a lot of stealing, a lot of destroying each other's stuff, that we think, oh, I don't like having my stuff destroyed. That's not it at all. We don't like destroying each other's stuff. Jen, if she's building a sandcastle, she's totally fine with the game where occasionally there will be tsunamis that break her sandcastle down. When the game does it. Um, but she is not fine being the cause of the tsunami to tear down my sandcastle, and I don't want to tear down her sandcastle. That's what we avoid. That's why we don't like confrontation. Not because we don't like rising to the challenge of getting beaten up. We just don't like beating each other up. Yep. There you go. That's very well put. Thanks. Uh, Stefan asks, or it might be Stephen, you never know with this crazy name, with the PH. It's insane. Explain yourself, Stephen, or Stefan, if that is your real name. (laughs) Your top tens are controlled by voters. Are your run-throughs still mostly games you read about and want to play? Are they mostly driven by requests from others, whether that be voters, publishers, developers? Well, here's the thing. My run-throughs have always been chosen by others. You go all the way back. The very first video I ever did was for Helvetia. Why did I choose Helvetia? Because I loved it? No. Because I saw a thread where people were online saying, man, I wish somebody would do a video for Helvetia. And I said, well, I can do that. Look at the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth videos I did. Every single one of those were chosen by votes. I, set, I put up votes, voting ballots on Board Game Geek. And people voted on them, and that's how I chose them. Eventually, a year later, when I started, when I made Rotto Runs Through officially a thing and did my first fundraising campaign, because that's when I retired, as we talked about earlier, I wanted to be able to keep buying games. What did I have to offer people who actually gave me money? Okay, well, I stopped letting everybody in the world vote, and now just my backers vote. So my backers have always driven the games that I'm going to run. And this has not changed. And often I hear people say, wow, things have changed so much since you are now having your backers vote on games. It was so much better when you chose. I never chose. I can show you the links to the threads that are from years ago where I would put up a list. Hey, here's 30 games. Could people rank? So I will know what order to film these games in. Now, here's the other thing that's never changed. Voters have never with one brief tiny exception, ever had the opportunity to make me play a game and film a game that I didn't already want to do. Voters have always had to choose from ballots of games comprised of games that I was already interested in. So it's never changed. It has always been driven by games that I believe Jen and I will find interesting. But then I let voters... Voters have always ever just prioritized. They have helped me prioritize, and that's what drives the show. Um, there was a brief, the, the first Kickstarter campaign I did, I did have a, a backer level where people could say, uh-uh, I don't care what you like, you're going to cover this game. And you will notice, we have not done that in subsequent run-throughs, because to this day, I still have to do a run-through of a coin game, a counter-op insurgency game. Um, and I'm still going to do it. I made good that person who has a, well, a twisted sense of humor and who makes me want to do that, I'm going to do it. I'm working on it. I'm getting closer all the time. But yeah, uh, hopefully that answers the question, Stephen. Or Stefan. Nick says, I... This is very, uh, very similar. 
I've heard you discuss certain games you'd love to do a run-through on, but they do not get enough thumbs. I personally wouldn't mind if you would pick two or three games a month that are all Rado picks. Your videos will always be enjoyable no matter the game, and it would be a good opportunity to bring another game to the spotlight that wouldn't be there normally. Any possibility of this? Well, my response to me would be the same as the last one. Every game I run through is a Rado pick. With, again, a, a, a brief exception of a couple of those games when I made that one silly mistake in that first Kickstarter. Every run-through you have ever seen from me was a game that I chose for myself. The only input anybody had was whether I did it now or I did it a week from now or a month from now. So hopefully that answers that question. But you also ask, Nick, what are the top five games that you want to do a video for that, you have, ne- that have never gotten enough thumbs? Hmm. That's a good question. Actually, that would be a really good top ten, in all honesty. <laughs> um... That'd be very meta. Top ten about top tens. But let me let's let's just go to thumbs. T h u m b s dot thumbs dot Everybody can see all the standings of the requests. And again, sometimes for this page you have to refresh it a couple times until it gives you the list. And now let's go to the bottom of the list. All the poor guys who have less than ten thumbs. Now a lot of these I don't have games for. Let's just go up till I find a game that I know I'd be interested in doing a run through for that doesn't have very many thumbs. D, D, D. Okay, I'm up to 13 thumbs. I am up to 20. Oh, uh, well, I haven't played it yet. I'm really excited to try Hero vs. Guardians, a game of Dungeon Craft. But it's only got 16 thumbs, so it's going to be a long time before that thing seems a live day. Uh, Bottle, Cra- Bottle Cap Vikings is a lovely little game that got kind of un- unfairly beat up uh, by other reviewers. And I, 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 Jen, I, we've really liked it. We played it as a two- and a three-player game. We think it's really neat. Let's see, going along. I've already done a run-through for that. Um, I'd like to do that to get Jen to play it, but Jen's not going to want to play that. Oh, Eaten by Zombies is a lovely little deck builder. And it's only got a poor Eaten by Zombies, only has 20 thumbs. Oh, the first expansion for Escape Zombie City, Survivor Chronicles. Oh, I would love to play that. But 22 thumbs means it's not going to see the light of day for quite a long time. And was that five? Have I done five yet, Honey Pie? Let's say that was five. That was by no means scientific. That was certainly not the five that I would most want to do, but that's a sample five. Okay, let's see here. And you could continue that list by cross-referencing that thumbs list with games.rado.com, which lists... No, no, no. No, you'd have to go to BoardGameGeek. That, games.rado.com, no, actually games.rado.com does list every game in my collection. So if you cross-reference games.rado.com with thumbs, and you'll find the games I actually have, which are on the low end of the thumbs, you'll be able to answer that question yourself. And did I say I was lazy? I think I just proved it. <laughs> Let's move on to Maria. How do you solve a question from Maria? Aww. Aww. I always wanted to know, what is the process of defining Kickstarter stretch goals in terms of expansions, additional cards, scenarios, etc. Is the game designed initially with all this content in mind and then is being cut and separated to create stretch goals? I'm always worried that this is the case and it is not worth pledging for the base game only because it will suffer from being incomplete. But perhaps I'm wrong and additional content is designed separately, keeping the base game perfectly self-contained. Question mark? Thanks, says Maria. Okay, Maria, that's a good question. Now, of course, I cannot speak definitively for all board game publishers. You can't? I cannot. I will not. I refuse, Maria. 
to, to answer that question universally. However, what I can say based on my direct experience working with a bunch of these people, because a lot, you know, when I do run throughs for Kickstarters, usually, not always, but usually I'm involved in discussion. Normally it's a prototype. Sometimes things aren't quite finished. Sometimes, often, the rules are terrible. And they're getting a lot of feedback from me that will ultimately improve the rules that you ultimately read. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things I actually like about doing it is that I actually get to put my stamp and, you know, kind of improve these games. Um, But anyway, so I talk to these people a lot. And I can say my guess would be 9 out of 10 times. If you want to be cynical, I might go down to 8 out of 10. But I'm pretty confident I'm going to stick 9 out of 10 games on Kickstarter The reality is, when you're developing a game, you've got a million ideas. And I know this from personal experience, making games for 20 years. But also from working with all these game designers uh, when I'm doing their Kickstarter previews and working on their prototypes and whatnot. They have a billion ideas for games. But the reality is, the art of actually making a good game, as often as not, is knowing when to cut, when to pull back. This isn't unique to games. This is true for movies and TV shows and books and every creative endeavor in life. If you throw everything in the kitchen sink in, chances are you're going to have a mess. That's why novelists need editors, to help them pare it back and use the wisdom of Solomon to cut the baby in half and you'll make the thing tight and sharp. That happens in board games just like any other creative endeavor there is out there. And the most of the time, when you're looking at, oh, if we hit this stretch goal, we'll add X, Y, or Z. When it's not improved, you know, changing cardboard money into into metal coins yeah, or awesome. turning, um, you know, cardboard tokens into little plastic minis. When it's not just, you know, straight up aesthetic stuff like that. When it's actually, hey, let's add a little mini content. Uh, let's add like these extra five cards in. I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, those were cards that they had already decided not to put in the base game because it was too much. The base game was better without them because the game, because those cards, they maybe they had balance issues and they realized it could break the game. Or maybe they added new systems that would, would make the game a bit too sprawling and not as tight and focused as it should be. And so... They get to Kickstarter and they realize, well, yo, stretch goals are important. We need to have them. Well, you know, I did like these cards. They were really cool, but we took them out of the game because of X. I guess we could make them a stretch goal. More often than not, that is where all those little extra cards and extra little powers and extra characters come from. They were things that, you know, either were cut. So they're actually maybe not as good. And the thing is, hey, you know what? If we get an extra 10000 towards the development of this game, that means I've got extra money. I can go back and I can revisit those cards and we can spend time playtesting them and balancing them so that they will be as good as everything else and we can put them in the game. Didn't have the time. Didn't have the money to make them work. We get that extra ten k. We have that. We can. We can make the time. We can do more playtesting. We can make them work. That is more often than not what those things represent. Now I will admit, yes, there is that tenth out of ten times where they are being very cynical and they're saying, "Yep, this is the game." They're, they're, I, I wouldn't consider this game complete. And then they say, "Right now, let's rip it apart." And because, you know, we're going to hit all these stretch goals, but we really want to build excitement. That I will not deny that that does happen, but that is the exception to the rule, not the rule. And I base that both on my own experience talking to these people 
and working with them when these games are still in this prototypical form, because I cover a lot of prototypes of games, and also based on my own personal experience developing games, where, believe me, I've had to cut tons of stuff. It's heartbreaking to cut these things, but as you become more experienced, you realize it's important to do it. Um, And... Thirdly, it's also based on my fundamental guiding principle belief in life, which I mentioned earlier in this very podcast. People are good. People are not bad. And people are not scumbags. And people are not, again, people who decide to make board games do not do it to get rich. Do not do it to con people. They do it because they have a dream, because they're excited about something, and because they want to create something that other people can enjoy. People like that, especially are not bad. So, Maria, that would be my answer. And I think you never know which that 10th out of 10 is going to be, but you know what? You're better off living your life assuming people are good, assuming people are not trying to rip you off. Um, And if you're just not sure, don't back the game. Wait for it to come out in retail and have other people be the guinea pig. You don't have to be the canary in the coal mine. So, hopefully that answers the question. Do you have anything to add to that, honey pie? Just that people are generally good. Okay. I like that. All righty. Next up, we have a question. Honey, we, this is the next to the last one. Yeah. Oh. This is Ricky. Ricky. Ricky say, my question is actually more of a suggestion. Hey, what's that about? Will you consider or have you considered dedicating one day a week to revisiting games you want to play? Uh, you don't have time thanks to Rado Runs Through. You know what? We talked about that earlier in this very podcast. We have done it. There's just no time. You know what? There's time enough for sleep when you're in the grave. There's time enough to revisit these games once we're done with Rotto Runs Through. That's, that's, that is what I've come to believe. That is how I've made my peace. And I don't know if Jen has anything to add to that. Um, no, I do think that at some point we will get to revisit a bunch of games and yeah, they're not going that's anywhere. Good enough. Yeah, that's good to be enough. fair, some of these boxes have mold in them. What's that about? Um, but even still, you know, the, the mold, I mean, they're in plastic bags, so it's just the cardboard inside the lids and whatnot. So, yeah, they're not going anywhere. And we plan on living long, healthy lives. Yes. And uh, we plan on playing these games um, to keep our minds sharp in our golden years. So there's plenty of time. I mean, we're not even to our halfway mark yet. So, last question, honey, yep. from Ken and Toril in Oslo. My wife and I... Oh, wait, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, my wife and I are making a trip to Norway. Uh, from Norway to Essen this year. Will you be there? That's the question. The answer is yes. Yes, we will be there. And uh, for anybody who's listening, Jen's going to be there. Yep. Honey, where will they be able to find you? Oh, my gosh. I mean, we're going to do a video about this, I'm sure. Yeah. You're going to do another contest like you always do. But no. basically, you're going to be at NSKN's booth. Yeah. Last year, you were at Ludi Creations booth. They were absolutely wonderful. Were this awesome. year, NSKN, more wonderful people have stepped up yep. to offer Jen uh, you know, a, a safe respite, a harbor amongst all the madness, <laughs> where she can peddle her wares yep. to um, all buskers. Wait, no, buskers, are they the buyers or are they the sellers? The buskers are the ones who are doing the Punters, 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 to all punters. 
whoever swing by. So you can find her at the NSKN booth, which I think is it's in the main hall. Yeah, it's going to be Hall 1. In Hall 1. Actually, I think they said they're going to have a booth in yeah, Hall 7 Yeah, I think they have two. Well. And you're going to be at the Hall 1 NSKN yep. booth. So you can find her there. She'll be bringing all kinds of cool goodies. But we'll be doing more announcements about that later. And yes, you'll find me probably running around like a crazy person, <laughs> dragging a big, gigantic game of boxes as I'm late from one appointment to the next. Yep. So we'll see you there. That's it, honey. We've made it to the game-related questions. We are at the halfway mark. Would okay. you like to take a break? Yeah, a little break. All right. We'll be back, folks. Hold on. Okay, everybody. Welcome back. Now, it's time to get personal. Okay, starting with a question from Tom. Tom from earlier now asks, would I be willing to discuss my role as a video game designer? What does a video game designer do? What are they responsible for? Project management, budget, creative design, story, world design, technical design, UI design, all of the above, more? Yes to all of those things. <laughs> uh, yeah. As a video game designer, well, of course, you know, there's a lot of different video game designers out there. But as a general rule, what I always liken my job to, for fan, friends and family who asked, was I was kind of like the director on a movie. I was the, the Steven Spielberg you know, the Martin Scorsese, whoever, of the game I was working on. Which is to say, I don't actually do much of anything. Now, I, I don't operate the camera. You know, I don't generally write the script. I don't act out the scenes. I'm just the guy who pulls it all together, who tries to ensure that everybody has a common vision and that everybody is moving in the same direction and really, as much as anything else, is a full-time cheerleader. Uh, answering questions, making decisions, and uh, you know, trying to provide a consistent overall creative direction. That's what I did. And uh, you know, in the early days, when I was on teams of fifteen or twenty, in addition to you know that high-level overarching direction, cheerleading, morale-boosting personnel stuff, I also made the things. I've you know, gone siphon filter. I I designed levels. I populated them. I scripted. I did all of that stuff. But as projects got bigger and bigger and bigger, and there were more and more people, you know, I mean, the biggest project I ever worked on was Fable, which I think at its peak had about 200 people or so concurrently working on, on Fable 2. You know, by that point, yeah, my job every day was answering a million different questions that often came about because of technical problems that couldn't be solved. And so you had to come up with solutions to uh, problems to be able to ensure that the original design could still go forward. Uh, you know, there's a lot of... There's also a lot of politicking because there are always interested parties. Uh, you know, the people who pay the money, the publishers, your boss, whoever it might be, and you got to keep them happy while keeping yourself happy while doing the best for what you think is for the game. And it's all of that. So, yeah, every bullet you asked, yeah, I did all of that stuff and more. It was a lot of work. Okay. Brian, remember, he had four. Game questions. Now he's got seven personal questions, honey pie. Okay. And for starters, this one is for you. Can you talk about why you don't like guns in games? Oh my gosh. That one's for you. I just don't like guns. I like guns in games, but Jen doesn't. Why do you like guns in games? Um, answer the question, lady. I'm not on trial. Here you are. <laughs> oh, I see. That's a good question. We can come back to that, but okay. let's start with you. I just don't like guns in general. Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, and I even less like being forced to use one in a game. Mm -hmm. But what about ray guns? 
What about crossbows? Yeah, I know. Um, Inconsistent! I know. It's, <laughs> it, it doesn't have to necessarily all make sense. No. Um, I, I just think I, there's something distasteful about guns. I don't like the loudness. I don't like the violent kickback. I don't like the damage that it does when a bullet enters something. Um, I know lots of things do damage. Mm-hmm. A ray gun maybe yep. just would be cleaner and quieter. I don't know. Yep. I, I know it doesn't make sense. I just, just not a gun kind of lady. Yep. Okay. Did you, he didn't ask. Did you, are, oh. we, are we turning? Are we turning this into a Q and A between you and me as well? Do I, do I still have to answer the question? Well, yeah. Why? Why do you like guns? Because I'm a red-blooded American, and guns are cool. Mm-hmm. Just like smoking. <laughs> Sorry, there's no help in it. Um, you know, smoking is terrible and awful. But I grew up in a time where it was beaten into my head that it's also implicitly cool looking. You are breathing cool. fire from your mouth. No, you're stinky and it d- dirty. That d- yeah, horrible. that doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that it's cool looking. And guns are neat. I have fired many guns. They're cool. No. They're fun. That Don't get me wrong. Research. I am all for a complete and total worldwide ban of all guns. I mean, I know that's not even remotely practical. I'd, I'd love to start with ammo. I mean, man, I would love. Why can't some cool, smart scientist? You ever watch Agents of Shield? What do they have? What do they call their guns in there? The gassers, uh, yeah. the tea, the, the sleepers, or something. The like something. That. Yeah. Basically, they have regular guns. The but night nights. The what? They call yeah. them the night nights. They, they've developed some kind of ammo you can put in a regular gun that just basically incapacitates people. Can we please develop that in real life? Um, you know, everybody can keep their gosh darn guns and their full ammo capacity, and just you know eliminate bullets and replace them with non-lethal bullets. Um, man, that would be awesome. Because then we can have our cake and eat it too. Because guns are cool. They're fun for all the things Jen says she doesn't like about them. They're cool and they're loud and they're they're they kick back and all that. So yeah, um, both <laughs> of us. What's our number one favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, well, if I could only have one ice cream flavor for the rest of my life, yes. it'd probably be chocolate, of course. Yeah, I hate to say it, but it'd probably be vanilla for me. Yeah. Now, but that's. Obviously, that's not what Brian means. No, he means um, that. I mean, yeah, you're, you're being very pra- we're being very practical yeah, here. Yeah, this is the whole what can you take on a desert yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Of, if, of all the ice cream you can remember in your entire life, mm, in all your years therapy. on this planet, what was the best ice cream you ever had? Well, okay, I really like Brown Cow by Tillamook. Which I don't believe they make anymore. They which don't is, make it? I, I've been back, every time I'm in the Pacific Northwest... Because yeah. they sell Tillamook, I I never see it. I think wow. it's I think it's gone. Man, that was good. It was really good. Chocolate therapy by Ben and Jerry, which is still there. I think yep. in America, you can't get it here anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, that's because obviously I had too much therapy. <laughs> <laughs> they figured everybody's cured the yep, amount of therapy that's been eaten on this uh, side of the pond. Um, let's see. There was actually a really good. What was that? Um, buttered. Remember that one? That, uh, oh, the last time, time was... you visited mom? Yeah. Uh, you really got caramel. into salted caramel. Oh, yeah, that was really Specifically, good. Safeway Select salted caramel. Yes, that was awesome. We, mm. we, we had that purely for medicinal purposes. Yes. Um, you know, sore throat. No doubt thing. you had a salt deficiency, of course. Oh, uh, yes. Because, anyway, um, let's see. And then here on Malta, my favorite flavor is cinnamon. There's a place called Busy Bee on the main island there. See, I would have almost, instead of chocolate, I would have thought you might have gone cinnamon across I the board. I do love cinnamon. Because you really love that cinnamon here. And, I, I mean, know. I can't imagine you wouldn't love cinnamon ice cream, yeah. provided it's decent. Yeah, no, I'm sure I would. Yeah. But, Whereas um, there's a lot of bad chocolate ice cream out there. It, 
Chocolate ice cream is not a guarantee of good ice cream. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had bad cinnamon ice cream. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of it, but it's it's not a really um, ubiquitous flavor mm-hmm. either. Yeah. Let's see. Well, for myself, brown cow would definitely be in my top five. You didn't mention in Bend, Oregon, yeah, I was there goodies. is a place called Goodies. They have the best Oreo style, uh, but it's in chocolate ice cream instead of vanilla ice yeah. cream. It was amazing. I eat that stuff all the time. And they had really good waffle cones, too. Uh, I love apple a la mode from, what's it called, Code Stone. Yep. Absolutely love that. Always take the opportunity. You know, when they, they don't always make it right, but when they do, which means lots of extra crunch, Oh, man, that's amazing. Um, if we're talking Ben & Jerry's, or just in general, oh. Speculus. Speculus. Yep, 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 Speculus. But I will have to say, and this is, this is silly, the best ice cream I've ever had in my life, coincidentally, is right here in Malta. And it's vanilla ice cream from Busy Bee. I don't know. I don't. Think it is that. the best ice cream I've ever had in my life, and I've had a lot of really, 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 really good ice cream. We've had some really good ice cream when we're traveling too, but oh yeah, yeah, all just... through all the gelato, all through Italy, yeah. and yeah, we've had good ice cream everywhere, but nothing compares. Nothing compares to Busy Bee. I mean, all their stuff is good. We haven't ever had bad stuff. They have yeah. really good stuff. They have some flavors that are not as good, but. You know, that's well, yeah, personal you're predisposed taste. not to like that particular flavor. Yeah, well, yeah. like coffee. Who would yeah, want exactly, coffee yeah. ice cream? <laughs> All righty. Number three. If money was no object, what one thing would you buy? Told you, folks, this is not about games anymore. This is, this is in the la-la land now. If I could buy anything, I think I would buy a lovely little ranch... On rolling hills with a stream that goes through it and have some emus and some sheep and lots of rescue dogs and chickens, of course. I think that would be lovely. Where? Well, we're watching that show in um, New South Wales, um, Australia. Yeah, the Australian and boy, that bits. looks fantastic there. But I'm sure anywhere in New Zealand would be lovely. I mean, anywhere in England. I, I just think England is a fabulous, beautiful land. Um, I'm sure there's loads of places in the States that are just as gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's just we have been over here for so long. All right. And for myself, I, I don't know if you can actually buy this, but if money was no object, I'm sure you can buy anything. I would basically buy a lifetime um, supply, supply of, of speculus. <laughs> of... <laughs> First-class airline tickets. Ooh. Would yeah. that get you into the lounges and stuff as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And uh, it would have to be one for you and for me. Oh, there. I so, like that. Yeah. yeah you yeah. can, you and, can and, live and on you, my I, could, I could stay on the, on the ranch. Yep. Uh, I could sleep out with the emus and the llamas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've never gotten to fly first-class. There was one time in my life, through a weird quirk of fate, I got to fly business-class and lie down on one of those pods. Oh, my gosh. Man, that would be so awesome. Who needs transporters if you can fly first class, really? So, number four. What is your favorite kind of weather? I like cool and sunny. Okay. I like rain. You're a weirdo. Ah, I grew up on a boat. Number five. What are we doing in Malta if you like rain? I do miss the rain. 
And what are we doing in Malta if I like cool and sunny? Uh, wow. <laughs> Brian is making us rethink our life decisions indeed, here. Indeed, indeed. No, actually, most of the time, most of the year, Malta is very, very nice for the sunniness and a reasonable temperature. It's mm -hmm. just July and August that are just too hot. Yep, not much rain, though. Yep, but it rains a lot in the spring here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is cool when it rains here. It's very, very cool. Yeah. With the big lightning storms and all that. Yep. Honey, this one's for you. What's the key to business success? Oh. And do you have any suggested learning material? Oh, my gosh. Now, I know you've read like a billion books. I have, um, you know, because I did a lot of business building kinds of things in my younger years. Um, I think the key to success is delivering more than you promise. Actually, I think it's, yeah, just doing really, really good work. Okay. Um, yeah, I've always found that that seems to be it. Yeah, I, I, I've done several careers, and I, I think once people see the quality of your work, they return to you and they tell their friends. So um, that seems to, to be the thing that I come back to. And any suggested learning material? Or do you, do you oh. just tell them everything you need to know? You're the best around. Nothing's ever going to keep you down. <laughs> um, uh, do unto others as you'd have done to you. <laughs> so you're saying the Bible would be the no, suggested. No, the golden rule is a good thing. Yes. Although I believe that rule is in every major religious tone I'm throughout sure. human it's history. It's quite so. called the golden rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It applies yeah. to everybody. Yeah, I think just do really good work and uh, that should do it for you. Okay. Number six. Question to both of us. Yes. Best book favorite author oh my gosh that's like asking me to rate games yeah that's really tough for jen because she's she is absolutely insane she reads so much I, I do she is reading. such a, ver, a voracious reader i was gonna say vociferous which she is not <laughs> she keeps it to herself she doesn't just read them and shout out loud i do occasionally laugh out loud yeah um oh what was the question best book favorite author one author. in your whole life. I can't choose. Of the million one. books. I can't. That's really easy for me. Although, again, it's partly easy because, I mean, I used to be a really, I mean, growing up, my parents were worried that I spent too much time reading, in all honesty. And all through college, in college, I would actually rent books because I couldn't afford to buy the new books while they were still out on hardback. And I didn't want to wait till they came out on paperback. And in Seattle, there was this store in the U District where you could rent them. I read so much. And Why didn't you go to the library? Uh, because you, you try to go to the library, there's no way you're going to get it. you got to go on a six-month waiting list mm. for like the new hot well, novels. Somebody gets it first. Uh, yeah. Could have yeah. been you. Yeah, you could roll those dice, or you could just rent the thing, Yeah, which true. is why I did. Yeah. But yeah, for years now, ever since I started working full-time in the games industry, and now, even to this day, I always thought when I retired, I'd have more time to read, and I do. <laughs> I read a lot of rules manuals now. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, while Jen's still thinking, for me... Favorite book and best book, which is different, but you just asked best. Uh, for me, I'm probably going to have to go with Catch-22, which is probably the single most uh, important book in my formative development. I read that. I must have read that when I was 11 or 12 because I was growing up on a boat, and I didn't have access to young adult novels, which didn't really exist as much back then. But you had the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and stuff like that. But yeah, I... All I had access to was my parents' books. So, you know, when I was living on the boat, when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, I was reading 
you know, sometimes a great notion and catch 22 and, um, Oh, uh, uh, brave new world. And, you know, yeah, so I loved Ken Kesey. Oh, I read a lot of Steinbeck, but yeah, catch 22. Well, I wouldn't say Joseph Heller's my, cause I've read some of his other stuff and not, you know, catch 22 is just my favorite author would probably be John Irving. Yeah. He's uh, really good. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. Although I haven't read his last few novels because again, I don't read anymore, but I, I mean, some of the all time most powerful and impactful books ever. Um, I love comic books too. I love Garth Ennis, or is it Ennis? Yeah, I love uh, Matt Vaughn. But honey, I can only stall so long. Oh, okay. oh, oh she's going to the internet. Well, no, what are you going to search for? I was just thinking uh, the books that I've really been enjoying the last I don't know ten years or something are ones actually where the author has done some research and come to a conclusion and lays it all out for me, and basically does a bunch of thinking. And then and then summarizes for me. Well, yeah, and Brian did not specify kinds. whether you... I, I would assume he was asking works of fiction. Ah. But he didn't say. He just said best book. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that helps to focus on fiction no, versus nonfiction. I don't non-fiction. have any one best book. I'm sorry. You I'm refuse. Just, I don't have one. I just don't. But I, I was going to say the kinds of books that I have been really enjoying are the kinds where... You know, some very smart people have thought a bunch of stuff through so, and they summarize it for and me. And then for favorite author, you're going to say Malcolm Gladwell? He's very good. I was thinking Stephen Dubner, maybe. Stephen Levitt, the guys, the Freakonomics guys. Mm-hmm. Really enjoy people taking zany concepts and thinking them through and coming up with unconventional. Okay. Well, Brian, I think that's the best you're going to get. Yep. All righty. Number seven. Uh, would you ever consider coming to China? If you do, look me up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be totally down with that. Actually, years ago, we did have the opportunity. We, oh. you know, when, when we were leaving Texas, mm-hmm. I had a job offer. Mm-hmm. The three, the four biggest job offers that we were trying to decide between were um, Ubisoft in in Shanghai, which I know isn't quite the same thing. Um, oh, I can't remember. They, they've gone out of business now, but there was a wonderful little independent studio in Denmark and Lionhead. And Midway, both of those were in England. And yeah. we ultimately chose Lionhead. Uh, and, but I was really, really, really intrigued by do, doing the Shanghai Yeah, and thing. actually, initially when we moved to England, we thought we'd spend two years in England and then go to Australia or New Zealand for two years and then yeah, do that was the original something plan. in the Far East for a couple of years. Yep. So someday, someday we'll get there. Yep. But uh, now that we're retired, I don't know. It's going to be a bit trickier. Because <laughs> that's expensive. It's expansive. So, 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 so expansive. Moving on. Matthew Honeypie would like to know, as fans of Survivor, do you have a favorite season, favorite player? Do you think there could be a board game version of the game that would do the show justice? I cannot possibly begin to think about what kind of board game would okay. work for that. So I'll leave that to you. Uh, answer that last one, yeah. I totally think you could make a, I mean, a Survivor... I, it's a, it's it's hard. It's a social game. You could totally make a social game. I mean, I'm sure there must be. I'm sure there must be. Of course there is. There's Werewolf. Werewolf is the whole very nature of everybody getting together and voting somebody out um, and trying to avoid it. And then they just throw in a bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, there's no doubt you could make a, a phenomenal... In fact, actually, when the first or the second season of Survivor, when I was still working in Bend, Oregon, everybody in the office was addicted to it. And we ran our own office Survivor. Um, which I was the first person voted out, unfortunately, because I didn't take it seriously enough, and everybody thought I'd be too much of a threat if they didn't, you know, get rid of me immediately. But uh, so, honey, favorite season, favorite player. Uh, I know who your favorite player. Yeah, is. Yeah, definitely. 
well, you, I think you're thinking Rupert, and of course Rupert's wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, I like Ozzy, and I like the uh, the other really strong guy who's like Ozzy. I can't remember his name at the moment. Okay. Um, but it's got to be the girl, the girl that was the the last of her tribe, mm -hmm. and she outlasted her whole tribe. Yeah, sorry, I, neither of us really remember names was or seasons. Um, but I remember who you're talking about. Yeah, that yeah. season where she was on the tribe and they lost and lost and lost. And for whatever reason, that year, the producers were sadistic and never merged <laughs> and just went to where, oh, yeah, she's by herself now. Yeah. And she still had to. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, let's see. Yeah, favorite season, I really couldn't say. I'm, I'm, my favorite moment in all of Survivor history was when Savage basically held the, uh, you know, when, every, when, when everybody put everything on him and they'd been um, down for so long. And, you know, they were on the losing streak, and, and, you know, that was a line, no further, and, you know, and he led them. That was an amazing moment. And uh, favorite player of all time. I have to admit, I mean, Jen hates him. I mean, she genuinely, oh. she doesn't love to hate him. She just straight out hates the villains and wishes they weren't there. And, you know, That's because I want everybody to play nice and, yeah, yeah. and be good. But, I mean, I, I, it's hard not to love, what's his name, Johnny, I forget his name, but, you know, he basically patterned himself after a wrestler, and, you know, purposely went out, and... um Oh, uh, I want to say Russell. Yeah, Russell Hance. Yeah, Russell Hance was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess we're casual fans because we've never watched a single episode a second time. And, you know, I, we, we finished a, a season of wow, that was fantastic. And then we promptly forget about it. You know, it's, and we've never talked, we've talked seriously about in the past about doing a, a tape for Amazing Race. But, and I, and I'd love to think I would, would love to try Survivor, but I know I wouldn't. You'd be awesome at Survivor. Yeah, but I, it would be horrible. It'd be absolutely terrible. Well, just because you wouldn't want to have to. Yeah. Plus, I'd be voted out first again, just like last time. <laughs> All righty. Well, hopefully, you learned something from your first. Yes, indeed. Take it seriously. Uh, Priscilla asks. So Richard's talked about his childhood a little. Now let's hear about Jen's smiley face. Oh dear, that is a very big general question. I don't know how to answer that. Well, just give it to us chronologically. <laughs> well, I was born. Where? <laughs> oh, no. uh, in Columbia, Missouri. Why Columbia, Missouri? Because that's where my parents were going to school. My mom was getting a nursing degree. Mm-hmm. And. Um, but you didn't grow up there. No, no. I only spent three months there. We moved to Tucson, Arizona, where my. You didn't say that long. I mean. What? You've never really told me anything about it. You've just mostly told me about your experiences in Pacific Northwest. Yeah. All right, okay. Oh, you're being more... I'm, I'm saying you don't have to be that thorough. Oh, right. I was thinking you're just going to hit the big beats. You don't have to literally spend an hour telling day. every single thing. Just the big beats. Oh, okay. It was, if Tucson was important, yeah. What was important in Tucson? No, there was nothing in Tucson. I was too young to know anything about okay, it. Okay, then. So, um, we moved to Cheney, Washington when I was quite young, about three, I guess, mm -hmm. and lived there for quite a long time. Um, my parents got divorced, so um, somewhere in there, I guess when I was about nine, moved to Yakima for a couple of years. Because you lived with your mom. Yep. And um, and then... It was you, your sister, and your mom. Yep. And she has many stories about that, which apparently she's not... Well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what, what's to say? I don't know. I, mean, I would think you'd talk about, well, your, your mom was a single mom, and, you know... Trying to raise two kids, and yeah. and you and you have plenty of stories about your sister. 
Uh, you two were cats and dogs, just hated each other's guts. She no, actually blinded you oh, at one point. We didn't hate each other. We well, did of course, not. you loved each other, but yeah, I mean, you were terrible to each other. Well, unlike, I mean, I think... Becky blinded Jen. She was blind, and she was like a dog out in a... Was it literally the doghouse in the backyard or something? Uh, it was my friend's doghouse. It was your friend's doghouse. <laughs> they had to find her, you know, and she was blinded. I must have had a concussion or something. Yeah. Yeah, we did have a bit of a fight. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no interesting stories there, though. You can just keep on going. Yeah. See, you have interesting stories, honey. I know, but I don't want to get my sister in trouble or anything. No one knows who she is. <laughs> anyway, though. Okay, well, anyway. Um, so eventually... Oh, yeah. So eventually we moved back to Cheney um, to because spend time with my dad. Because you moved in with your dad yeah. and his wife, Nancy. Yep. My who became my stepmom, and she is fantastic. She's your best friend in the world. We're very, very good friends now. I'm so is, lucky to have her mm-hmm. in, in our lives. So that is fantastic, which does not at all denigrate my relationship with my mom. Yeah. I'm just really lucky to have two great moms. And um, actually, my mom did get remarried a second time, so I used to have two really good dads too, but unfortunately, my stepdad has passed away. Um so let's see. So yeah. So I mean, I, I think actually probably the interesting stuff is when you're a teenager and when well, you're making your life choices. Yeah. Um. So I yeah I moved back to Cheney, which is a little hodunk town. It's a little college town. Um. We actually didn't live in town. We lived seven miles out of town. So if I wanted to go into town, I had to ride my bike in. So that was a uh, that kept you fit. In fact, mm-hmm. our driveway was like a mile just in itself. Maybe not a mile. Maybe half a mile. Um, and always when we were in trouble, we would have to go out and weed the driveway, which was gravel. That was our punishment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weeding the driveway or raking it because the gravel was always getting out of, you know, the, the ruts from the car. Anyway, um, so let's see what. I was in high school. I was a cheerleader on drill team. I guess did all the normal high schooly things that you would expect. Including and, rolling a car. Oh, yeah, of course. I totaled up my first car, Yes. Um, so yes, doesn't everybody do that? Most people don't roll their car, honey. Uh, I know, well, that wasn't exactly my fault either, but (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I just don't want to get anybody in trouble. (laughs) So, uh. For the record, she was driving. I was driving. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's a good thing she was wearing her seatbelt. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then I was voted most likely to stay in Cheney. That's the big thing. Yep. That was her big claim to fame. Yep. So none of those people knew you, obviously. Obviously, nope, because the first thing I did was get the hell out of Cheney as <laughs> soon as I could. Uh, went to, oh, hell is a bad word, isn't it? Oh, get do, the, do be careful, honey. Fine. Get the goodness of golly out of Cheney. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, no, so we, I was, um, went to the University of Washington. So that's where I met my delightful husband. And we met the first, actually, our very first quarter in college, our freshman year. We were both taking German. And the reasons that we both decided to take German in high school were silly. I had a, the, the teacher of the foreign languages in my school was a German lady. So I could learn German with a German accent or Spanish with a German accent. So I chose German. Yeah, because you were genuinely concerned that if you learned Spanish well enough to speak it for the rest of your life, it would cause you issues because you spoke it with a German accent. I just figured a native speaker of German would be better to learn her native language. Okay, yeah. When in fact, as it happens, Spanish is about 10,000 times easier to learn. And probably about 10 times more useful. useful, Exactly. Especially for Americans. But anyway, and you took German because? Because I genuinely thought... 
it would be easier to learn. I had a choice also between Spanish and German. Um, Frau Yantis, I, I think she, maybe she did teach Spanish as well, now that I think about it. I don't know, I didn't take Spanish. But I thought Spanish would be harder and German would be easier because there were a few words in German I knew and they sounded like English words. And the few <laughs> Spanish words I knew did not sound like English words. And of course, back in the uh, early to mid-80s, we could not look things like this up on the internet and uh, so I made a very dumb decision because German was much more difficult to learn and practically useless. Although, actually, these days it's kind of useful considering how many games I play from Germany. Mm, definitely. But, uh, yeah, so it was just kind of dumb luck that we both happened to choose German for the wrong reasons, and that's how we met. Yep. And thus, your childhood was over. Yes. All right, hopefully that was good, Priscilla. Moving on to Ryan, who mentions that we recently visited Istanbul... What are the top two or three most interesting places you visited? And what are the top two or three on your bucket list? Uh, two or three most places we've in- visited. Interesting. That's not necessarily where we'd go back to. Or- the man said interesting. That's all. That's the only definition he gave. Interesting. Oh. I'm going to have to say for interesting... That's kind of oh, tough. It's easier to say favorite. Yeah, yeah, because you got to think, well, where did we learn something, or what, where was something that you know really made an impact? Um, I would say for me, England was probably the because we went over on a trip when we were interviewing when we when you were interviewing, and finding out about you know the different parts of England and and how life would be there. So I would say probably that for interesting is our number one destination because okay. we really did need to find out if we if we'd want to live there number two and three and same thing for denmark because we were also interviewing there okay so that was and that was very interesting actually yep, christiania the, or whatever it was called christiania and yeah. also just just denmark is a completely hooli hooli yeah it was um, very hooli uh yeah just really different culture um, which was, was was refreshing and, and fantastic to mm-hmm. just be immersed in that because we, we kind of lived there for a week, didn't we? Mm-hmm. It was great. Um, and then the third, I, I'm trying because we haven't really tried to live anywhere else. Malta is not that different. I, I didn't think there. I mean, there's been a little bit of culture shock, I guess, but not. It's not that different. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Do you? No. There wasn't any major... I mean, there's a bureaucratic hassle that you have to go through whenever you change countries, but... Hmm. Okay, you your turn. Well, you've forgotten your number three. Oh. Um, and it's explain. easy. It's easy. Is it? Why did you get a passport? To go to Japan. That's right. Yeah. Yep, yep. We went to Tokyo. Our yep. very first real trip. Yeah, well, our first real trip together. I mean, we'd done Hawaii, and we'd done Cozumel, and we'd done... Canada, but yeah. Well, not Cozumel. We hadn't at that time. We had? Nope. Oh, okay. But yeah, J- uh, Japan was our first real big trip together. Yeah, and yeah, and I would still you. say it's one of the most interesting trips you've ever been yeah, on. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. Because that is definitely immersing yourself completely in something different. Yeah. Just the metro, the language, the spoken language, the written language, the everything. People, the the food. The, yeah, everything. 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 Um, uh, sync. <laughs> yep. I didn't know who they were. The, we're yeah. They were in our hotel, I guess. They were in our hotel. And, uh, um, and we had breakfast with them. Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, Japan, totally. And, 
Oh, also, Japan was also really interesting for me, too, because it was a work trip. You know, we had to pay for Jen to go over. I, I was flown over, and she stayed at the hotel I was staying in, because we were going over to pitch Siphon Filter to the Japanese arm of Sony to see if they would publish it. And to do that, I had to get, like, very thoroughly trained about proper business etiquette, about how you're supposed to behave in meetings and how you're supposed to greet people. And there's this very specific protocol that you are supposed to do where you present your business card with both hands and they take it, they look at it, they look at you, and then they nod. I don't remember this exactly, but it's something like that. And then the reverse. And then once you sit down, all the business cards you've collected through this little um, ritual are supposed to be laid out in front of you on the table. So, I mean, as a sign of respect that you care what everybody's name is and all that. Plus, it's just practical. It's really good. And, uh, and I did it all. I nailed it. I got everything perfect, except we didn't realize till after uh, I left the conference room and left all oh. the business cards on the table. Oh, I'm sure that was awesome. That was the all. And Sony did not publish Siphon Filter in Japan. No, I'm not saying it's because <laughs> I left those. Uh, but it ultimately did get published in Japan by some other little third party, which was really kind of odd. But yeah, it was really cool, and you know, and and seeing that side of game development and talking to those people, you know, Japanese game developers and right, mostly executives, and it was great. It was absolutely awesome, and uh, and I'm really surprised you didn't mention Africa because we just came back from an oh. almost month long trip to Africa yeah, with Jen's that. parents. Yeah, so Africa. there's that, and that was very very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the safari it was... stuff, and yeah. <laughs> Although actually, for me, it wasn't safari. The best the the best thing we did the whole time was when our guide took... I mean, we loved Safari. I absolutely loved it. But he also took us on a couple of guided tours through the markets. Um, you know, And it was it was totally off the beaten trail. Nobody knew we were going to be there. I kind of got the impression he wasn't even supposed to be taking us where he was supposed to be taking us because it was all so impromptu. Yeah. But, I mean, that was absolutely amazing. Yeah, to see what the locals are buying and how much they're, you know, how much everything costs. Yeah, what and, their life is like and all that. And yeah. the, how they make their tools out of the, you know, the various bits and pieces that they have available to them. And, yep. Yeah, it was really cool. Yep, yep, yep. All righty. Um, and two or three on your bucket list. Two or just not number. Yeah, they said, um, um, what are the top two or three on your bucket list? Okay. Um, well, we definitely have got to get to New Zealand. Yep, New Zealand's number one for both of us. Yep. I, Thailand for me. I'd really like to get to Thailand. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I guess those are the top. I'd love two. to go back and do more Japan because we never got out of Tokyo. We yeah. spent. We were there for. I think it was like four days, maybe something like that. I think and we, we spent had a, the entire time in the city. Yeah, and it was great. But I mean, I would have loved to have gotten out of the city. And, and China would be great too. Yeah. I mean, Thailand would be great. I would love to do Russia. Um, or, you know, you know, probably just Moscow, I suppose. Mm. Um, St. Petersburg, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to do Sweden. I'd love to see the fjords. Yes. Well, maybe next summer. Yep. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Moving on to Alex. Alex is back, and he had asked us previously about Lyricon, and now he wants us to give some broader thoughts about Portugal. What do we know about it? Do we plan to travel around the country? He, do, he does recommend we do so, so we can experience the country without many tourists. Do you have any thoughts on Portugal at large, honey? Um, well, I'm just excited to go. We've been to Madeira, which is officially part of Portugal, but of course... Which was also very cool, yeah. Yeah, but not on the um, you know, main land mass mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah, I actually, I, I'm not quite sure if anybody's got anything planned for us when we're there, but 
um, I would like to see a bit more than just the convention center. <laughs> yep, I agree. Uh, Jen, uh, let's see. Oh, this one's for you only. Your favorite books or literary genre? If it's too difficult to choose, <laughs> what's the most recent memorable slash impactful book you read? Hmm. Um, well, like I said earlier, I like these kind of books that take concepts, think them through, and then summarize them for me. Um, especially if there's some sort of zany hook there that uh, makes it really interesting. Uh, they tend to be economic books, uh, how the world works, how people work, uh, that sort of thing. Um, I do enjoy reading fiction as well. Probably the last one that I've read that's been most impactful would be the Khan series by Khan Eagleson. It's K-A-H-N, as in Genghis. As in Genghis Khan. Uh, yeah, I I was really involved with that. I don't I don't particularly enjoy the violent stuff in it, but I did enjoy the day to day life of how life was back then. And also, I really enjoyed thinking sort of these alternate time um, s- stories, kind of a thing where if there was a, there was a particular point where um, when Genghis Khan's sons were kind of inheriting the power one of them actually was sick and died and if he hadn't died at that particular moment the generals that were out had taken out um the knights of the what are the the knights the the guys in the all the armor and everything um and were basically sweeping across budapest and into western europe and if the knights templar Knights Templar, thank you. All I could think of was the Knights of Malta, because <laughs> <laughs> that's where I am. But uh, yeah, and if if this particular con hadn't died, and they everybody had to be recalled to vote on the new con, we would probably none of us would be here, and um, the world would be a vastly different place, a Mongolian kind of place. Okay. Uh, so that's really interesting to think about, actually, how culture would have, you know, what different kind of culture we'd have now. We certainly wouldn't be speaking English. None of the um, revolutionary stuff would have happened. None of the, uh, maybe, none of the agricultural revolution stuff would have happened. Uh, Yeah, I just, I can't even fathom where we would be now if if that had gone differently. Okay. Amazing. Next question. Yeah. Kenneth wants to know what's our favorite ice cream. Of course, we've already talked about that at great length. Yes. Did you think of any others in the meantime, though? No. No. All right. Philip wants to know what is your favorite color of glass to work with oh i like them all they're all lovely they're all your babies yeah um i think if i had to choose just one glass though there's a particular one called neodymium uh which is a lavender shade and it's really cool because it changes the the hue that you see your eyeballs see is a different color based on the light frequency that you're in. So fluorescent lights have a different light frequency and it looks kind of grayish blue in that. Whereas if you're looking at it in sunlight, it looks more of a lavendery um, and incandescent, it looks more pink. So yeah, I, I think that that's a really interesting glass. And when you overlay neodymium over other colors, it changes the other colors as well. Okay. Ulf would like to know of you and me, who is the best? <laughs> and he's got, Ten things. Who is the best cook? Definitely me. Yep, I think that's a no-brainer. You make a mean tuna fish. Yep. 
Uh, I hate cooking with a passion. I, 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 I almost despise it as an act. And whereas Jen actually enjoys it. Yep. Uh, um, for me, I think it's way too much work for something that is so transitory and it just disappears almost like that. And it was all that work, and yeah, that was delicious, but it's gone. And yeah, but you know, on in a few hand. days, I won't even remember how delicious. You know, it's it's just too much work. And I mean, I like food, I love food, but not enough that you know. When Jen goes for a couple of weeks, when she goes back to the states or the UK, the whole time I'm here, that's why she mentioned it. I pretty much just subside on <laughs> cans of tuna fish and mayonnaise, or and fried uh, eggs. Yeah, or in fried eggs, just fried butter made as simply as possible. Who is the best singer? Um. You? Yeah. Well, I imagine you have the best voice. But you have the most gumption. Yes. I am... I, if, I would imagine, while Jen is probably technically better, she probably has better vocal control and all that, but she is also very... Uh, tentative. Very tentative. <laughs> she is not prepared to belt anything out. I mean, it was really surprising when we did that live playthrough, what was it, for Dingo's Dreams, I think? And I made you start singing Love Boat. And you're like, okay, I will do it. But it was like, ah, this is like, I'm, I'm dying inside doing it. Whereas me, I won't think twice. So you put me in front of a mic, I'll just, I'll just go to town. And I'll leave everything on the field. So I don't know which of that makes us better. But who is the better dancer? That'd be me. Uh, that would be true. Unless it's Dance Dance Revolution. Exactly. In which case, it would be me. Um, who is the better athlete? Well, I'm definitely more active than he is. Well, I'm, I'm certainly stronger, but that's just a quirk of genetics. You mean that you're a boy and I'm a girl? Yes. Yeah? Uh, yeah. I would say I'm more athletic, though. I'm more interested in being out and moving my body and taking yoga and running and things like that. If we were in a forced run. A forced run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like we we're running for our lives. Yeah. Who do you think who would last longer? Wow. I think I would. I'm more fit than you are. Uh, I walk a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do have my bad knee, so that probably messed me up. Who is the better martial artist? <laughs> <laughs> Neither Jen or I have ever thrown a punch in our entire lives. I have. I've thrown a punch, but... Okay! <laughs> you kind of skipped over that part in the uh, childhood story. Well, my sister and I used to fight, yeah. so yeah. Although, actually, not really... I used to use my fingernails and just... Hold on to her arms so she couldn't hit me, actually. so I guess that's going to go to Jen, then, it sounds like. <laughs> Who's the better painter? Oh, me. Yep, yeah, Jen actually did quite a bit of painting in high school and college. Yep. I did some. Yeah, you could be a really good artist if you No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, if, if I put my mind to it, I'm actually pretty good. I did a lot of sketching, and I, I took some sketching classes in high school. And you know, I, I can look at the stuff I did back then, and it's actually it's pretty good. But it was work. I did it because I had to, not because yeah. I enjoyed it. Yep. Jen actually enjoys it, so that's implicitly going to make her better. Mathematician. Oh, dear. Have you heard him counting? <laughs> See, now, but that's the thing. I've got this weird hang-up about doing math fast. Uh, and, and uh, you know, because when we were kids, when we were on long drives, and it seems like we were on long drives all the time, my entire childhood, my dad would make, would, would do like just kind of pop quiz, flashcard, you know, um, 
quizzes. Yeah, 56 divided by 8. Or, you know, 7 times 2. Or, you know, and, and it's like really just fast belt bang, 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 bang. And I just got kind of this weird... Oh, what, what's it called? Uh, phobia? F- not phobia, but, you know, a, a, a hang-up. Hang up. Yeah. Uh, I got this weird hang-up about it. And to this day, I'm very uncomfortable doing math in my head because my brother could do it without thinking twice. He could just... It was very easy for him. And I just kind of got... I, I, it's, just, it's just this weird thing. I mean, I'm good at math. I understand math. I mean, I took... I mean, how high did you go in high school? Mm. We didn't. Neither of us took math classes no, in college. I think just pre-calc. Yeah, me too. So basically, we, we both... I would imagine we're both comparable. Yeah. But um, in terms of just being able to do math in your head, Jen wins. Because I've got this weird hang-up phobia thing. Uh, Tinker. That would be Jen. Uh, Me, I'm like, oh, it doesn't work? Well, okay, let's say goodbye to that. And just, no, I can fix it. She's like... Fix it, Felix. Yeah. I can fix it. I just and she hits it with her golden hammer, <laughs> and then we end up with a bunch of junk out in the backyard that never quite gets fixed, but we'll fix it someday. Hey, I just took the fan apart and oiled it and cleaned and it. And found out it still didn't work, and so we threw it away. No. Oh, you mean the other the one, other yes. The other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other one. I, don't, I think it was planned obsolescence because the grease in that was just, oh, it was so gummed up. And that's not my fault. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, card shuffler. That'd that that would be totally Jen. Yeah. Because she can go both ways on a riffle shuffle. I can only do the one. You could if you would just give it another go. Well, I just, I've never learned how. And I don't need to. I, w- I wouldn't say I'm any slower than you. No. Um, in fact, actually, I almost think I'm maybe a bit more thorough. Because I've watched you when you shuffle. And you have, you're very clumpy. I'm very clumpy. Huh? You're very clumpy. Okay. Um, but you can do the reverse shuffle and I'm jealous. <laughs> so, uh, and die roller. Oh, I'm a wild die roller. See, it's weird. I used to think I had telekinetic powers because as a kid, I used to do when we played Monopoly with the family, I'd always do the, okay, I'm going to roll a four now. And then I would do it. And I convinced myself, I, but I don't believe in that. But nowadays, you watch the videos, you've all seen. <laughs> it doesn't go my way. Need. All right. But not that I believe in that either. It's all totally random. There is no such thing. I do not have any superstitious beliefs about that whatsoever. Yeah, God does not right. care if you but roll a six. At the end of the day, Ulf, apparently Jen wins. You need to ask some questions about what I'm better at. That was, that was totally loaded. <laughs> okay. Back to John, who would like to know, um, does Brexit threaten the existence of Rado Runs Through? And can we talk more about our post-referendum thoughts? Wow. Um, well, do you want to answer that? I've got nothing to say. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly depressing and demoralizing. It, you know, I've mentioned a couple times in this... Uh, no, no, no. I'm not, it doesn't shake my fundamental belief in that people are good. But, man, it sure reinforces the fundamental belief that people are stupid. And myopic and short-sighted and easily led uh, by the politics of fear. And it's really depressing. Um, can it affect Rado Runs Through? Could. We don't know. Yeah, we don't if know we ha- If we get kicked out of Malta, I mean, that seems really unlikely. Of all the countries in the EU, Malta's a really kind of a weird special case. You know, they've got a special relationship with England. So I wouldn't be surprised if Maltese expats... Or have a lot less to worry about than ones in Spain or France or any of the other countries. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, it's it, it, everything's just gone quiet. I mean, there's there's no big news. It just seems like they're trying to run out the clock. 
Not that there's a clock, because until they hit the timer, nothing starts. It's just all such an epic cluster F that um, we like not to think about it, because it's so depressing. I just keep hoping some legal challenge is going to come along, and then it'll get stuck in the courts for several years. And then... Well, so there's nothing to get stuck. The government is not obligated to do it at all. It was never a binding referendum. The government can just say, screw you, public, we're going to continue doing what we want well, to do. but they can, because then there might be a revolution or something. There won't be. But still, I mean, if there was... Brits actual... like to complain, but yep. they're not going to... They're too busy queuing properly to, uh, <laughs> oh, to revolt. I love that they queue properly. It is true. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's think about the good. About you know where Britain. you are when you yeah, stand in line in bad. England. What's that? You know where you are when you stand in line in England. Yeah, exactly. No confusion there. Yeah. Are there... Let's see. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where is it in here? Scroll down. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Not sure this was ever addressed, but why exactly did you retire from the video game industry? Was it part of the push to leave the workaday world or something else? Not complaining, since it led to the creation of Rado runs through. Was wondering what was so dissatisfying about that world that's more satisfying in the world of full time board game reviewing. Uh, mm. Well, yeah, I. I Ever since I was a little kid and people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would always say rich. Not because I particularly wanted to be rich, but because I just didn't want to work. My whole life I've known I don't want to work. I'm, I'm lazy. Have I mentioned that five times now in this particular <laughs> podcast? I, my whole life I have been preparing for a post-scarcity world. I, I know for a lot of people it's going to be really, really tough. A world where you don't have to work. But we're getting there. I'm just ahead of the curve. Uh, I am very well suited for a life of leisure. Jen, it would drive her nuts. I don't think she can ever stop working and ever. That's why she's a better tinker than me. Um, But she can never, ever stop trying to find purpose through labor. And, you know, that's true for the vast majority of people. Uh, You know, know, people ask, I mean, when getting to know you, first question, what do you do? Like, that defines who you are as a person. Well, that's an American thing. They don't do that. It's a very American thing, yes, but we're Americans. So, I've I've never been that way. And I've, it's, you know, it's an easy shorthand to say, yeah, I was a video game designer, but I've never really felt that identified me as a person. And I don't, I don't like working. I've never liked working. Every job I've ever had, you know, I, I found it passable for a while and eventually it just got to the point where I just couldn't stand it anymore after a while mm-hmm. and after 20 years of video games I got a real well actually there were a couple of crucial things three maybe four crucial things that finally pushed me to the breaking point five things in fact maybe what would it have been well first of all <laughs> Brink which was the last game I ever published it's the game I am most proud of by far I, it's, I think it's the most important game I've done. I think it's the best game I've ever done. I can still play it. I mean, heck, while Jen was gone in England a few... Uh, when, when she was gone to get Gertie, I was playing it in the evening again. I hadn't played it for a couple of years, but it's still just as fun as it ever was. I'm so proud of it. It's my, it's my favorite video game of all time, even though I made it. But Bethesda software you know, of Skyrim and, and uh, Fallout and all that, they practically destroyed us, and they certainly destroyed my enthusiasm for making video games. They were such an awful, awful publishing partner. Of course, I wasn't supposed to talk about that publicly back then, but I imagine the statute of limitations has passed. I'm not in the industry anymore. Splash Damage is still doing well, so I don't think we have to worry about anything. Yeah, it's they were awful. Uh, I mean, they 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 didn't give us the support we needed. They tried to run us out of business so they could buy us on the cheap. 
they and Brink, which I'm so incredibly proud of, but I, I can recognize all its flaws, and I can't blame anybody for being disappointed in it. We needed six more months. We didn't get that six months because we weren't internal. If we were internal, we would have gotten the support we needed. We would have been a golden boy like Todd Howard, but we were external, so they treated us like like dogs, and they spat it out, and it got raked across the coals, and it was hugely demoralizing. So that was thing number one that kind of pushed me, started to push me out the door. Thing number two, no big deal. We went and landed or that. We landed the gig to do Marvel Secret Wars with Disney, and that was going to be the best game I ever worked on. That was going to be the culmination of everything I'd ever done as a developer, as a lifelong Marvel fan, getting to work on a game that was going to continue the original Secret Wars, which was such a seminal comic book for for me as a kid when I read it back in the early 80s. Or as a teen, I guess I was a teen at the time, and um, you know, and I, I was so I was so excited to build on what we had done and what worked in Brink, and we'd learned so much, and we were going to fix the problems of Brink, and it was going to be better, it was going to be in the Marvel universe, and it was just absolutely just amazing. But then Disney shut us down, and pretty much in short order shut down almost all their internal. Or no, at that time they were shutting down their external development, and so they go all internal. Nowadays, of course, they've shut down their internal development, and you know it's just it's always these peaks and valleys of these absolute idiots at the top who come from other industries and don't know what it takes to actually make a game. Oh, that was so heartbreaking. That game was going to be so amazing. So that was step number two, and thing number three that got me out of the game industry was board games, because during Brink I discovered board games. And every day that passed, it became harder and harder for me to muster enthusiasm to keep making because board games are so much better than video games by every metric that matters to me. So all those things combined is what eventually led me to retire. Oh, and then the other thing was I've wanted to be retired ever since I was a little kid. So it's always been the goal. I mean, we put that goal on hold, basically. I probably could have retired 10 years earlier. Oh, yeah. If we had, no, no, maybe not, but at least five years earlier, if we had just stayed the course in Texas. Yeah. Because I was well, making such stayed. a crazy huge salary there. Yeah, or if you'd stayed in Bend, too. Or, yeah, if I'd stayed in Bend. Could have been it 10 years earlier. But uh, we wanted to see the world. Because we knew after we retired, we weren't going to be able to see the world. So that's why we moved to England in the first place. Yep. Yeah, but then we just surprised ourselves and stayed. And so now, we, instead of retiring in Bend or Seattle, or we retired here. Hopefully that answers the question. Okay. was That, that was the question, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Leon, honey pie. Oh, ooh. Um, this actually, this question came in on August 9th. Because remember, we've got two months of questions here. So this question has changed quite a bit. I kind of wish we'd asked, we'd answered this before. The question is, what do I think of No Man's Sky, the video game? Do you know what that means? Do you know, does that question have any meaning to you? Nope. You've never heard of No Man's Sky? Have you told me about it? No, no, no. I'm just wondering. I'm just okay. wondering. Then I'm just no. engaging you as general Vox Populi, just member of the public. Mm-hmm. Never heard of No Man's Sky? Well, no, but you got to remember, you are the one who downloads all of our entertainment. Sure, so sure, sure, sure. If you haven't told me about it, I probably haven't. It's heard a video it. game. Uh-huh. It's Sean's video game. Oh, okay, yes, I've heard of that. But, uh-huh. of course, I just, yes. All right. Um, so the question is, what do I think of No Man's Sky? When he asked this, it hadn't shipped yet. It was getting very, very close to shipping. They were starting to put out, um, mm-hmm. you know preview videos and and the hype was at an all-time high and it it, it is a game i mean you know it's been a game that's been super hyped well yeah i think i saw his interview on uh stephen colbert yeah yeah so so, yeah um things are different now it's come out and 
as much crap as I got for Brink, that's nothing. Oh, His game is the, is the game that's ruined all of video gamedom forever. How is that it's, possible? Uh, it's, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm being sarcastic. I'm, I am, so basically, the question is now, what do I think of No Man's Sky? That it is single-handedly the most, I guess, what, the safest thing to say would be the most controversial game uh, in years. Okay, why? Uh, because it has not lived up to impossible to achieve expectations. It is, a, uh, the game came out, it largely, strictly speaking, does what it promised to do, but it's rough, there's glitches, there's mm. bugs, it's, you know, arguably, I mean, it's Brink. I mean, we, we were rushed out the door. I don't know why. I mean, you know, they were their own self-publishing, but, you know, they did have, Sony was their publisher. I look at it and I assume they were rushed out the door. I'm sure, although I don't know, I mean, Jen knows, because we are friends. I wouldn't say we're necessarily friends with Sean, but we're friends with his wife, Louise, who was the executive producer on Fable 2, and, yeah. you know, is one of Jen's best friends, and she's a good friend of mine, too. And we both, we've had dinner with Sean. We like Sean. Sean's yeah. and I, I guess we can consider Sean a friend as well. Absolutely. He's but, I mean, you know, nice Sean, I mean, the whole time we've ever known Sean, he's been busy killing himself. Yeah. Um, and literally trading away his life to make games. And so we very ever saw him. Well, we, you know, I mean, Louise is the ultimate video game widow. I mean, I'm sure people have seen those pictures of, you know, the evolution of a game designer and it's pictures of Sean looking like what you remember Sean. Like, you've yeah. seen Sean with his crazy scraggly beard. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so he killed himself. And, um, you know, he missed a major part of his the children. early days of, of, his, of his kids' lives yep. to pour everything into that game. Um, you know, that game is such a work of unbridled passion. Yep. Um, but it's been ripped apart. Oh, no. uh, it's uh, Because... Well, basically, Sean I made a kind of a Molyneux-esque mistake of promising the moon and never making it clear. Yeah, the game's not going to do all these things. Uh, you know, I, he, I'm sure every time he said that, oh, yeah, there'll be multiplayer and you can actually see people in the world, I'm sure at that time they had every intention of doing it. And they had plans and they had schedules and they had the people who were hired or they hadn't hired him yet, but they were going to hire the experts who were going to make that happen. And at the end of the day, they ran out of time and they had to publish it. Now, I don't know because we haven't talked to Sean in years and you haven't talked to Louise no, probably for six months. Well, I actually didn't even get to see her. She's when you were in England last time. time. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything. So we haven't talked to him for quite a while. So I have no inside information, but... It's either that Sony made them push out because Sony had a slot and said, look, we've given you enough time. Uh, because they were, I believe, I don't really know the specifics, but I believe they were helping fund it. And it's coming out now, whether you like it or not. I look between the lines and I suspect it's something like that. Same thing that happened to me with Brink. Um, and I suspect Sean would have continued to work on it until it was perfect because that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. And he meant every single thing he said about it. But... Business realities being what they are, it came out. Now, that might not be the case. It could be. I mean, I know how hard he's worked. You know how hard just that entire team has been killing themselves for years. And a, a workload that's unlike anything I have personally ever seen. And the workload I went through for decades was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I mean, like it was, so he sacrificed... A major portion of the early, you know, he's, he's lost so much to put that yeah. game out. And it could just be that he himself said, you know what, I can't keep going. Let's put it in a box and move on. It could be. It's one of those two things. Oh. But either way, a lot of the stuff that was promised wasn't there. Or it is there, but kind of technically, yeah, it ticks the box. But this was not what we were led to understand. Oh. We expected something more. 
And this is just, you know, ticks the box. Now, that said, what do I think? I haven't played it because I don't have a PlayStation 4, and we don't have computers that are fast enough to run the thing. I'd love to give it a try. Um, I think the unfortunate thing is that people are missing the fact that, yes, while there is a laundry list of features that didn't make it into the game, and yes, there is a, it's ahead of rocky launch, and all those things will get smoothed out in time with post-release patches. Uh, what, it, what the core, the heart and soul of that game that he had always promised, and that was always promised that game, it does deliver on that. And for people who keep complaining that, well, I want 100 hours of gameplay, it's like almost everywhere I've read, people say, yeah, you know, the first 10 hours are great. Well, you know what? Then be happy about those first 10 hours. And yeah, maybe it doesn't have the legs you wanted. Maybe the ending is disappointing, um, you know, after his promise to be so life-changing. Maybe there are unfortunate parallels to Molyneux, but all I know is I know the guy. I know how hard he worked. Mm -hmm. I know what they sacrificed to do it. I know what a labor of love that game was. And I know from a lot of people I re who I respect as smart and that the game still delivers an amazing and important experience uh, that I think other developers in the future will build upon. I think it is a watershed game, and it does push the industry forward. And I hope he and the team are all very, very proud, no matter how incredibly demoralizing it must be for all of them to be the pariahs of the video game industry now for daring to have the timidity to try and actually create a personal passion project and, and entertain the people. How dare they? Sorry, I'm getting a little snarky there. Still, um, on the other hand, don't feel too bad for them because they're all rich. Sean and Louise now are crazy rich. And probably everybody at that team now because based on the hype, the overwhelming waves of hype that no game could ever, ever achieve, um, could ever satisfy, it had huge sales, ridiculous, and they made a ton of money off of that. Um, you know, they, they've... Uh, and uh, my understanding is they're still working hard trying to fix it. They don't have to lift a finger for the rest of their lives, and they're still in there busting ass trying to get all that stuff fixed. Well, good so that's what I feel about No Man's Sky. Um, right. Do you have anything to say, Honey Pie? No, I think you summed it up pretty good. Okay. Uh, and the other one, I think I answered this. If I were to design it, yeah, no, I did. That was a FAQ.rod question. Okay, Alex, Honey Pie. Would like to know, should we take a break or are you ready to keep going? I'm fine. Yeah, because I'm doing most of the heavy lifting. Yes, you are. All right, hopefully this is one for you. Uh, he's going to PAX in Seattle this year. It's his sixth time. He wants to get adventuresome this time instead of just hanging around the convention center. Where do we recommend in downtown Seattle to eat Ooh. that are a short taxi ride away from the convention from center? The, uh, convention center, which you know, is it's up next to that movie theater. Yeah, I know where it is. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, well... And any friendly local game stores. The friendly local game store you have to go to. There aren't any, as far as I know, within walking distance. Sorry, Honey Pie, you can think about it for a second. Although I know you already know what you're going to say. I know. Because Jen worked downtown Seattle for years. She has all her favorite places to eat. Uh, and, for, and game stores, Blue Highway Games, which is, uh, it, it'd probably be a 10-minute taxi ride. And it's a wonderful game store. It's hugely important to us because that's the store that convinced me to buy Pandemic instead of Scrabble. And changed our lives. And so it's a great store. Uh, it, it's, it's worth checking out. And on the way back, or on the way there, you can stop and go to Dick's Drive-In, the one Ooh. that's on Queen Anne Hill. Yeah. If there's one place I recommend eating in Seattle, it's at any of the Dick's. I prefer the one in the U District myself. 
But Capitol Hill's fine. Queen Anne Hill is fine. Any of them will do. Yep. Get a, a, a Dix Deluxe fries and vanilla shake. Hopefully, the fries and the burger have been sitting under the heat lap for quite a while. You don't want them fresh. No, you, you want, want them all melted, and bin. they become this weird thing. But oh my gosh, that, that's that's the best in the world. Yep. But anyway, I'm sorry, honey. Um, what would you say? Did you say that the game store is near Queen Anne? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you remember where, where Dix is across from the Uptown Theater? <laughs> you keep going further up the hill for like another. I don't know. It's probably like another five or ten blocks north. Yeah, yeah, further north. Okay. Hmm, I didn't realize it was there. Yeah, yeah, well, we, well when we lived there, we never, I had never been yeah, there. why would we? Yeah. Um, yeah, but last time I was there, your mom and I went and had, uh, had dicks at that, at the Queen Anne. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea it was so close. You were so close. Oh. You could have gone in and said, thank you. Yes, I should have done. Or you could have gone in and said, what have you done to us? <laughs> he was making so much money making video games. <laughs> We'd still be there now. He'd be making Fable whatever. Fable 17. Yep. Um... No, uh, so let's see. So where would I go? Well, first of all, the best place uh, to get a sandwich, and oh my gosh, they have an amazing corned beef sandwich, but all of their sandwiches are good, is Bakeman's. And it's down on about First and Cherry, and, which is near Pioneer Square, and you got to go there. They have amazing, wonderful food, and uh, like all the desserts, their pies and stuff. Now, to be honest, it has been 20 years since I just I looked it up. They are, they are still in business Okay. on 122 Cherry Street. 122 cherry. Uh, yeah, so everything there is good. I mean, oh, they have a really good meatloaf sandwich. Uh, ham and cheese is really good. And the soups. Oh, and the soups are so good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Bakeman's. Definitely hit Bakeman's. Um, uh, the jewelry store that I used to work at um, was on 2nd and... Well, it used to be on 3rd, and then it moved to 2nd. No, I actually moved down to first. It was on second. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. A couple up from Cherry. I can't remember now which one. What... But anyway. Anyway, it's called the Metropolitan Grill. Yes. Was um, the restaurant next door to... That was right to... next to where it yeah. was. So I used to go over there and have Caesar salads all the time, but they have really good steaks, of course. So I highly recommend going to the Met. Um, they are also still in business. I, I'm and they offer takeout. Really? Yes. Well... It's a it's got good ambiance. I would recommend you go sit and enjoy. Okay. Um, let's see. Of course, you've got to go to Ivers if you're in Seattle and have some clam chowder. Just the one down on the waterfront. Yeah. Again, for ambiance. honestly, I've never really thought Ivers was that great. I I do. I think it's good. Mm, okay. Really good. Yep. I would definitely go if I could. It is certainly an institution. Yep. And you can sit outside and feed your extra French fries to the seagulls. <laughs> so that's good fun. Um, Spaghetti Factory, which is on the waterfront on the north side of downtown, not too far from the Space Needle, is a really good place if you like pasta. In fact, I had Mazithra spaghetti there, and Mazithra is a Greek cheese. That's the old Spaghetti Factory. The old Spaghetti Factory. Yeah. Yeah. So, also still in business. Yep. That's a really good place to go. Um, let's see. Where else? Dicks, we've already mentioned. Yep, yep. Oh, of course, Pike Street Market. You got to go to Pike Street Market. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads of places in there for eating, but um, I can't. I don't really have anywhere that I always go. Um, the one thing that we always look for is Three Girls Bakery, which is on the outside of the market. Oh, well, you you go down the hill. It's not in the market market. It's across the street from the market, um, and they have amazing apple fritters. Now, here's the problem with that. You got to get there they don't. early. What do you mean they don't? Somebody recently told me the person who makes them left town, and they do not sell apple fritters at all anymore. How could you 
not get the recipe from the person who's been I don't understand it. It's it is the greatest apple fritter tragedy that has befallen Seattle in history. I guess so. Wow. The best apple fritters in the world, folks. They used to be at Three Girls Bakery. Three Girls Bakery is now dead to me because they couldn't be bothered to write down the recipe and continue to make them. Well, they still have good bear claws. <sighs> yeah, they're fine. Hmm. But it was, it, I mean, it, but I mean, Jen's right too. I mean, the Pike Street Market. There's so many awesome things there. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, every one of those restaurants is worth visiting easily. Yeah, and tons of really good craft as well. I mean, yeah, totally, totally. Makers doing original work. Um, and a lot of variety there, too. I always try and get to the market whenever I'm in Seattle. Yep, definitely, definitely. Okie doke. Let's see. And that was it for the PAX question. Moving on to a question from Paul, who would like to know... Hey, he's looked at Malta, and apparently we don't have many trees here. <laughs> How did he look at Malta? Did he go on Google Earth? Uh, he did not specify. Okay. But there don't seem to be large trees no. or woodlands or forests. Do you guys miss trees and forests? Definitely. I love going to England or really anywhere where there are trees. <laughs> and going, look at that tall green thing. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah. They know. do have trees here. There's one, there's Busket Forest. Yeah. I'm sure there's pictures of it online. That's, um, you know, and it is, it's a reserve now. And I mean, actually, I was just reading the other day that there's some kind of, or no, 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 there was a review of the government's attempts to reforest, and they've all been terribly mismanaged, and it's it's a big brouhaha now. You no, know, there's always a brouhaha about when they're cutting down trees in the cities. For some reason, they just seem to cut down the few trees that are, you know, along the roads, and you think, ah! Yep. It's like we're living in Rapa Nui. Yeah. Remember that movie? Yes. Yep, yep. Great movie. Uh, so... Yeah, we both we both love trees. Yep. Uh, you know, my favorite place. I, I still look forward to going back to Pacific Northwest and living there someday. Jen looks forward to going back to England and living there someday. Yeah, for both those places, a big part of it is the trees and the green. Yep. Let's see. Oh, also, how did you come up with the alias Rado? FAQ.rado.com tells all. Leon is getting larger. <laughs> Sorry, Leon. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just an airplane quote. <laughs> Or a brooch. <laughs> or a pterodactyl. Do something more valuable. Oh, all right. This is a saucy one. I don't think he means it's saucy, though. It could be taken such. Were you ever thinking that playing and designing are a waste of time and you should be doing something more valuable with your time? Ooh. And if yes, how do you handle this situation and continue with what you were originally doing? I wonder if there's between the lines there if Leon's wondering this for himself. I wonder if he's just trying to get us to justify our existence. I see. I, I, he could be, but I'm assuming it's more of a, you know, I, I too have a hard time justifying the amount of time I spend playing games. Yeah. You know, let alone making them or thinking about them. There's so many more important things to think about. Well, I know you have something to say about that. Do I? Yeah. What do I have to say? That the supreme reason that we're all here is to enjoy ourselves. Ah, yes, that is true. Okay. Not that there's anything supreme about it. Well, that's the that is the prime reason for everybody to be here. Well, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, no, 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 that's not quite fair. There's a bit more to it than that. Okay, well, uh, don't to let me, me put words, words in the here. the number one thing that gives meaning to anyone's life is not the work they do, but it is how much they enjoy life and how much they improve the lives of others. Those are the only two metrics that count as far as I'm concerned. Um, and 
So that's how I justify it. I mean, playing games and enjoying games, making games so that millions, again, in my case, the video games I've made, Fable and Siphon Filter and Sims and all of the rest, I know that millions and millions of people have had their lives made a little bit better. And so all the blood, sweat, and tears, all the pain and heartache and turmoil, I'm sure this goes for Sean and No Man's Sky too, because as many people are complaining about it, there's a lot more people enjoying it. Remember that, Sean. Forget about the haters. There's plenty more silent people out there that are loving it. Anyway, though, uh, so I think it's a very worthwhile endeavor. Sure, so is curing cancer. Yeah. But you know what? There's plenty of people working on that. And uh, I don't know that I would have been the one to push us over the top on that. And as for playing games, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the whole reason to be alive, is to enjoy this time we're given. Mm-hmm. So how could, I mean, it's weird. Jen, she has this crazy backwards approach to life. I'm sure we've talked about this on yeah. the podcast before. That, you know, we get up every morning and I'm like, yeah, let's play some games. And just like, oh, we can do that after we get the work done. I'm like, <laughs> no, let's play the games now. We, we might have a heart attack. <laughs> and uh, you know, a plane might crash into our building. I mean, there might be a tsunami at any given time from some earthquake. Who knows? Let's play the games now. We can work later. And she's like, no, 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 no. Let's work so that we can earn the right to play the game. Yep. And it's like, honey, that's so backwards. It's not you work and then you get the reward. No. <laughs> anyway, so that's how I look at it. I don't know if you have anything to add, honey pie. Um, I think you probably summed that up pretty well. But, you know, also, you think, well, the life of an artist, what does an artist do? Well, hopefully, brings beauty into the world and makes people think or look at things slightly different and hopefully, you know, appreciate something in a way they didn't before. Okie dokie. Shannon, Honey Pie, would like to know, what are our thoughts about the Pokemon Go craze? Have we played it? And what do we think about augmented reality technology and the future potential implications Mm. or implementations? Okay. I haven't played it. I think... Do you know what it is? Yeah. It's that people... Well, that's how you know it's big, folks. Yeah, if I've heard of it. Because <laughs> he, he gives me all my entertainment. So. <laughs> and I've had no reason to give her that. Nope. So if I've heard of it anyway, then, yeah, it's got to be pretty big. Go so do you have any thoughts on it? You know what it is. I know what it is. It seems fine as long as people are doing it in a safe manner that's not interfering with anybody else's lives. You have no thoughts about the technology or future potential implementations? No, not really. No? Okay. All right, I guess this one's for me. Um, there's one more. This is the next to last question. The last one is going to be all you, Honey Pie. So, um, oddly, no, I haven't played it yet because up until recently, we've only had an iPhone 4, which is incompatible. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you need an iPhone 4S, which we did not have. Jen came back from England last time with a little Sony Xperia Compact Z3, which we got for only 105 pounds. That was amazing. Uh, because our iPhone 4s, I mean, they're they're just dead phones walking. They can barely handle anything yeah, anymore. They've been good. so crippled by iOS upgrades. I've been I keep meaning to jailbreak them, and so I could downgrade them to where they're actually usable. But uh, you know, yeah. it, was, it was just it was past the point of useless. So we do actually have one now. And the first thing when Jen got back, I installed was Pokemon Go, and I have yet to run it. <laughs> I have no excuse. Uh-huh. I really want to. Seems like it'd be great. I mean, you understand? I mean, you know, when we go out for walks with the dogs, we could. It's, seeing Pokebonds. Yeah, and catching them and leveling up and all that stuff. It's like the ultimate geocaching app. 
Except you're, instead of uh, finding little real-world tchotchkes that are useless, you get little virtual tchotchkes that are useless. But at least you don't have to store them. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I love the idea of it. We love geocaching. I'm yeah. kind of surprised Jen hasn't played it. And I have no excuse. Just haven't really gotten around to it. But I think it's great. I think augmented reality is awesome. I look forward to being alive 100 years from now because we are in the generation that's going to get a chance to do that because they're making so many big breakthroughs in you know, genetics and whatnot. I look forward to the future where we all have stuff installed in our eyeballs and um, you know that can do overlays and let us just look at things and instantly know stuff like we're supercomputers and, and, and we can just play games and we can have weird kind of crazy network experiences that no one can even imagine today when it'll just become second nature and people will just you know grow up in this kind of experience. Uh, you know, I look forward to the future where every second of our lives is recorded by the little um, quintillabyte chips that we all have installed in our arms. And we can look back at any experience we've ever had in our lives, ever, with the blink of an eye. Literally. That's amazing. And yeah, Pokemon Go is just one tiny little part of what our future is. We'll never have lost our keys again. We'll never lose our keys again. So I think it's awesome. I think it's great. Um, I guess in part, I haven't really looked into it because... While I love the promise of it, I mean, I have read the FAQs, and man, the implementation of it is terrible. It's such a poorly designed game. From my perspective as a professional game designer, there are so many things I would have done differently. Um, And there are so many weird choices that they have made, and weird things that they're nerfing. I mean, it's it's an interesting case study of this crazy runaway success that they had no idea was coming. But yeah, I mean, I think it's neat. And, you know, I love the promise of it. And I really should play it now that we have a phone that can run it. Okay, Honey Pie, last question from Nick. Uh, he even prefaced. And now an end-of-show question, although it's <laughs> the end-of-show question. Wow. How's the pup search going? Oh. And have you ever thought about fostering dogs? Oh. Uh, we started fostering dogs for a local shelter about a year ago, and we truly love it. We get the experience of knowing that we have made an impact on the dog and that helped get it adopted. Plus, our two corgis have enjoyed having friends that come and stay for a while. Obligatory pictures attached. Ooh. I need mean, there's dog pictures. Of corgis? Yes. Corgis that is an adorable corgi. Cute. And that is a slightly less but still very adorable corgi. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't tell your corgis I have a favorite, but I do. <laughs> um, here's corgi number one. That no one can see. Uh-huh. And here's Corgi number two, who is still wonderful and adorable. Oh, he's totally cute. Yep, yep, yep. I, I like number two better. Yep. Nick, I'm not going to tell you which one was which. But anyway, they're both lovely. So, Honey Pie, how's the dog search going? Okay, well, obviously, um, I'm sitting here with a secondary beagle in my armpit, basically. Mm-hmm. She's snoozing next to me. Her name's Gertrude. And she's awesome. She's really made a good transition. Um, she's been with us, what, a month now? I don't think that long, really. Four no, weeks? Actually, I don't I think so. Back in, I, I, would have, I would have guessed three, three but weeks. I'd have to look it up. Three weeks. Yeah. But I, I, I got her in England. Oh, so yeah, for you, you've had for her for me, a month. I've had yeah, her yeah, for yeah, a totally. month. Or you've had her for like five weeks, I guess, right? You well, had her I for think two I weeks flew in up England? to England and. No, you were there for half a week and then you picked her up. Yeah, yeah. There. Anyway, anyway, about a month. Let's just say about a month. Um, anyway, so she's really good. She didn't, uh, she had a few things like she wasn't house trained. So we've dealt with that. She was like super not house trained. Yeah. Um, she was like defiantly, I defy your house training. <laughs> well, anyway, she, she also wants to please very greatly. So yes. she has learned very quickly and we yep. haven't had any accidents for what, a week? Yep. 
I think. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. Although we did find out that baking soda is about the hardest substance to find. It's easier to go out and find a brick of cocaine than a brick of baking soda in this country. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You, Americans have it so good you can buy, like, actual huge laundry-sized boxes of baking soda. But, um, no, they sell it in 50-gram bottles here in Malta in most of the grocery stores. So I had to embark on a huge search to get a... I think they're 250 gram bags. Yep. So, I mean, that's kind of the same size as you get for your refrigerator. And for her first week, we were going through a lot of it. Yeah. As we kept finding mistakes on the couch, on the carpet, on the bed, yeah. pretty much any place but the backyard. Yep. And baking soda is very, very good for getting rid of the Neutralizing odor. the odors yeah, and yeah. things. So, anyway. Um, but she's much better now. She's she's absolutely And we now have now. a much bigger supply of baking soda than we need. <laughs> we do. I stocked up once I found it. Yep. Um, so, yep. Gertrude is doing very well. She's integrated really good with Dobby. They both, I think, are quite happy. And Dob is is definitely perked up. Yeah, yeah, she's more cuddly now. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really surprised. It's like a night and day difference for her. I, honestly, I never really lent much cotton to your feelings that, you know, Tula and Dobby were so tight. But, yeah, it's amazing how much of a difference it's made. Yep, 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 yep. So that's all very good. Um, however, Dob is just had her 15th birthday, mm-hmm. and she is definitely slowed down. Um, I don't know... It might have been that we were away for a month, and she was with the pet, the Katie, who takes good care of our of our girls while we're away. But um, she just had short walks when we were away for a month, and I think she lost a lot of her fitness. And we're trying to build that back up. Um, but anyway, she's definitely slowed down. And um, for a, to have a two year old beagle and a fifteen year old beagle, that's quite a discrepancy in energy levels. So, Indeed. Although, to be fair, Gertie's fairly low energy. Yes, yeah, she is. For a two year old, I mean, she's she's like a, she's like a. 12-year-old. Oh, I wouldn't or a say 10-year-old. that. I mean, she's really relaxed. Yeah, I mean, she's... She's really good. She's yeah. very calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is wonderful. But at the same time, when she does get up, she's got energy and sure. she's got lots of personality and stuff. So anyway, um, but I think that she would enjoy having another younger dog. And so um, we have actually just agreed yesterday um, to adopt another dog and her, she's in Sicily actually, and will be coming to join us after we come back from Essen. She, um, she was an abandoned dog and she was pregnant. She's since had her puppies and, um, the lady in Sicily brings dogs over these strays and adopts them out in Malta. Yeah. Apparently she's at any given time has 15 or 20 dogs in her house. Yeah. And she can't find homes for them in Sicily at all. Because, of course, they've been abandoned in Sicily. Yeah, so she finds homes for them in Malta and, at her own expense, takes the ferry from Sicily to Malta, which is expensive. Yeah. It takes a long time, but she comes over like once every month. Yeah. And, um, you know, and rehomes these dogs. Yeah, she's so that's amazing. A, she's amazing. Yeah, she, she, and, you know, she's picky too. You had to interview on yep. Skype, basically, to prove that you were worthy to get this, this pup. Yep. Yep, yep. So, um, so yeah, like I said, after we get back from our trip to Essen, uh, we'll be able to be home and um, adopt this new dog and make sure she integrates well with our, with our other girls. But I think it'll be really good. She's a young, uh, probably less than two years old, year and a half to two years old, uh, beagle mixed with a petite basset vendine, I think it's pronounced. Anyway, she's got a hairy face. But she looks like a beagle in other, all other respects. So, um, I don't know. I think she'll, she'll be a really good fit. So, that is exciting news. And our family has grown. 
Yeah. What's your name? I think we're going to call her Millie. Mm-hmm. We're going to have Gertie and Millie. Yeah, for Gertrude and Mildred. Probably Mildred. Isn't that awful? But if we're going to have old lady names, yep. you got to go, go for, for it. it. All or nothing. Yep. Total old lady. <laughs> I was thinking names. maybe Millicent might be nicer than Which Mildred. is fine with me. But, I mean, Gertrude and... No, Gertrude, that's totally fine if you'd rather. Yeah, I don't know. So we're still thinking about yep. it. Her, 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 her name, Apparently her real name is... Well, she was abandoned. Right, so, so we don't know what her real name is. Uh, right now she's been with the woman for a couple of months and they're calling her... What was it? Crunchy. Crunchy. She's about the weirdest dog name. Oh, it's it's cute. Yeah. I, I can see it working, but no, no, no. If we've got Gertrude, we've got to have Millicent. Yep. We could we could rename Gertz to Crispy and have Crispy. <laughs> That's another. I hadn't thought of that. There you go. Um, or Munchy and Crunchy. Munchy, Munchy and Crunchy. Crunchy. No, because that, nah, that would confuse him if their names were too similar, I think. So that is the update. Yeah. And to your other question, have we, we have fostered uh, two or three dogs... Yeah. In our time here, um, before the RS, local RSPCA would have room for them. And, yeah, we think it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such a shame more people don't appreciate their dogs. Yeah. Oh, well. Dogs are awesome. Yep, dogs are the best. And that's as good a note as any to end on. Okay, honey pie, okay. got any closing words? Uh, dogs are awesome. Dogs are awesome. Dogs Every dog is awesome. awesome. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> listening, everybody. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show. Talk to you later. Next month will be the uh, Essen preview, so it'll be a full thing, just me, like the Gen Con one a little bit ago, going over all the Essen games. And then afterwards, we'll be back, and things will go back to normal with some Q&A. But as always, if you have more questions, send them to questions at rotto.com, and uh, you can prompt us to wax philosophic and pontificate till the cows come home. Next time. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Okay, you're still here? Well, that means you want to hear those questions from Podcast 14 answered once more. We'll give it a second try. Hopefully, we'll come up with something better this time. I think you'll find we're mostly the same, but you know, there's, some, there's some additional stuff that might be of interest in there. So, hopefully, you enjoy this take two. And uh, away we go. Brendan asks, Rulebook Features. What are some of the most important features in a great rulebook, and why, how do you think you differ from other reviewers on this question? Let's see. I could have sworn. I mean, I think I've talked about rulebooks before. Uh, but for me, there's a few absolutely key things. One is the overall structure of the rulebook should kind of follow the overall turn structure or game structure of your game. I mean, for starters, the rulebook should, first page should just be a summary of the thematic setting, who players are, where they are, what it is they're trying to do. That's absolutely crucial to start with that because then that helps players cement in their minds why all the mechanisms work. Particularly if you're smart when you write your rulebook, which I'm always shocked that more gameplay rulebook writers don't do this, talk thematically throughout the book. Of course, describe the raw mechanisms of the game, but explain them in terms of, of theme. Um, you know, Don't just say, well, you get to take 
four rounds, explain how those four rounds represent the four seasons of a year so that people will understand that. I mean, often, as often as not, the designers do actually ensure that their gameplay mechanisms have some semblance to the reality of the simulation they're making. Um, but rule books, you wouldn't know that from them uh, because they <laughs> never actually explain that. It drives me nuts. But anyway, so start with your theme, start with your settings so players can intellectualize that. Then, very next page should be a nice two-page spread showing exactly how the game is set up and walking you through all the setup pieces. Because that's the next most important that I personally, whenever I sit down to learn a game, first thing I do is I go to the setup page, which amazingly sometimes doesn't appear till like page five or six in the rulebook. It's absolutely ridiculous. Set up the game first. Encourage players, after they read the little story, to immediately, before they read anything else in the book, to set up the game. When you set up the game, you touch the pieces, you see the pieces, you shuffle the pieces, and that, once again, helps get your mind in a place where you are going to have an easier time absorbing the rest of the rules. So, nice big two-page spread showing how everything gets laid out, everything's labeled so you know what every card back looks like, all that stuff. Then, start walking me through the process of playing the game in the order that the game is played. A huge mistake rule books make, and I'm shocked they always do this, they spend... Uh, not always, but a lot of times, they spend several pages going over in great detail the function of all the individual pieces without any of the context of how you use them in the game. They'll say, here's poison cards. Poison cards do this, 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 and this. And here's antidote cards. They do this, this, and this. It's like... I don't know how poison cards are used. I don't know how antidote cards are used. Don't tell me about that until we get to the part in the rules where I would actually use these cards. Then tell me about it. If you tell me about stuff when I have absolutely no contextual understanding of how this thing works in the game, it's, it's going to be in one ear, out the other. So bring up stuff when it would be naturally appropriate to do so based on an actual playthrough of the game. Don't talk about your season cards until we get to the season portion of a round, etc., etc. And then the last thing, the, the final page, not the final page, the back cover of the rulebook, I'm always shocked when publishers mess this up. Make that a very nice one-page summary of all the key stuff that you're going to have to refer to over the course of the game. Every time I look at the back cover of a rulebook and it's just concept art, it's like, oh my, what were you thinking? Make that the go-to place that players can feel pretty confident that whenever they get stuck on something during play, they can just look at that back page, and chances are the information will be there without having to dig and try and find... Was that on page 12 or page 13 or whatever? Okay, <clears throat> that's it. That's my treaties on rule books. <laughs> I don't know if you have anything to say on that topic, honey. Probably not, because you have never read a board game rule book ever. No, uh, but I hear you exclaiming about them occasionally. <laughs> I would say also just... Um, you know, try... Why don't you have somebody who has never played your game before read your rule book before you publish it? Yeah. And, and, and sit there with them and see when they look puzzled and when they're confused and when they ask you questions like, what is this, what is this thing? Yeah. What does that do? I mean, just because everybody else in the world is never going to have played your game, <laughs> is not going to have the benefit of having you sitting there to explain it, and so if you run through your rule book a few times with people who do not know how to play your game, I think that you will catch an awful yeah. lot of errors. That's a pretty standard operating procedure, at least for big publishers. I don't know if they always do that. The trickier thing is it's not good enough just to you know, have them spot read the rule book because often you'll read the rules. You'll think, I understand this game. Mm. But then you sit down 
at the table and you're trying to figure something out, you're like, wait a minute, this was never made clear to me. And you, and it won't occur to you that that's not clear until mm. you actually get deep in it. But yeah, Jim's right. Obviously blind test the heck out of these things like crazy. Anyway. And so Brendan's other question was, um, how or why do I think I differ from other reviewers on this question? I have no idea if I do differ from other reviewers on this question. Uh, but if I do, I would imagine the, well, the reason I view things the way I do probably more than anything else is because my major at college in the university at the university of Washington in Seattle, where I met Jen was scientific and technical communications, <laughs> which is what they called technical writing back in the late eighties. That was my major. I trained, I was training before I made a sidestep into the video game industry to basically write technical manuals and interface with engineers and scientists to be able to take concepts and translate them to layman terms. So I don't know, that's based on my personal experience as a quasi professional technical writer, that's how you do it. And I am always flabbergasted and astounded when people don't do it that way. Hmm. So anyway, we're going to move on to question number two, unless Jen has something more to say about that. Nothing more to say. Then Tom asks, you may have already answered this, but how many times a week do you play with Jen? How many are older games versus games for auto runs through? Well, the second one first, um, I would say one out of every, maybe one game a month, we play a, a game that isn't because I have to film it. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe one game every two months, in yeah, all honesty. Yeah, but we just played a game on the weekend that was not having to be played because I wanted to play it again. Which one was that? The one where you stick cards in the sleeves and they've got three. Right. No. Oh, yeah, that was Mystic Veil. But that was reasonable for me to play again because I need to film it. Oh, you haven't filmed it yet? <laughs> no, no, no. I haven't filmed it yet. Oh. So that's why I'm just like, oh, let's go. And that was the one time when she wanted to go back and play a game we'd already played. So yeah, okay, that's fine because I... Yeah. Oh, here I was thinking you, had, you were honoring my wishes. Sorry, honey pie. Well, no, I mean, I, I, yeah. The reality is it's pretty rare these days. For a while, about a year ago, we were trying to make a point of every week, every Sunday, we will play a game, and it doesn't matter whether it's for Rod or Runs Through or not. We'll just play one because we want to play it. And I think that lasted for all of three weeks. And then yeah. the realities of Rod or Runs Through, that there are just more games coming all the time, constantly having to learn them, constantly having to play them, constantly having to film them. In fact, this was a topic uh, in a recent Top 10 I did of games I wish that I could go back and play more. So very, very rarely is the answer to the second question, or very few. First question, how often do we play a week? We play most every day. Um, yeah. I would say in an average week, I mean, if you were to average over the course of a month, we probably play, I don't know, um, maybe seven to ten games a week. It's not one game a day. Some days we don't play anything at all because because I'm dying to play a game, but Jen's too busy making glass. Um, whereas other ga- other days we'll play three or four games in one day. Those are the best days when Jen says, okay, I'm putting down the torch and okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I'm going to play games all day. Yep. You better be ready because <laughs> if you don't have another game on that table, 30 minutes after the first one, I'm going to do something else. Ah! <laughs> So, um, you know, so it, it averages some days we get three or four games, some days we don't get anything. I'm going to say on average, maybe 10 games a week, maybe 
No, 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 because that seems because that would be forty games a month, and that seems a bit much. Maybe thirty games a month, something like that. Maybe I would say it probably averages out over the course of a month to about one game a day. Okay. Something like that. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. So that's a rough guess. I mean, years ago, I actually used to keep track. I used to track or you know make a note of every game. Although I wasn't, I was only doing it so I could keep track and prove to Jen definitively that she cleans my clock more often than not because <laughs> she always swears, "No, no, no! I know you've lost the last nine out of ten games." <laughs> But over the grander scheme, I'm sure it's a 50-50. No, it's not. It's not even remotely 50-50. Um, and I just stopped keeping track of that because it was depressing. But anyway, that was Tom's first question, uh, which was Royal Rents related. His second one is not. So we'll be revisiting Tom later. Now let us move on to Brian, <clears throat> who has four questions related to Royal Runs Through and games and seven that are not. Oh, Brian, you're going to keep us busy. My All right. goodness. Huh? My goodness. Brian, 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 I don't know if you can handle the truth, but we're going to do our best to give it to you. Okay, <laughs> first of all, both, this is a question to both you. Oh, and he's even classified them. Some for you, some for me. Mm. This is for both of us. What are our opinions of Eurotrash? The hybridization of Euro gameplay mechanisms and Ameritrash style narrative focus, I guess would be a better way, or, and, and conflict combat. Um, you know, we don't play very many because, quite frankly, any Ameritrash that's kind of weeding its way into our Euro games means it's not a game we want to play, like Cyclades or Kemet or... I can't think of them. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, but yeah, as a general rule, we tend not to like them because the precepts of Ameritrash-style gaming, and once again, for people who are gnashing their teeth and are very upset that I'm using that term, it's not a derogatory term. Trash does not mean garbage. Trash means as in to destroy your opponent or destroy these enemies. When you play an Ameritrash game, it's an American-style game where you trash a bunch of stuff. So that is what Ameritrash means. It's not a derogatory, but anyway. So, and, but it's because of that, we don't want to trash things. We want to build things. We want to make things. As a general rule, neither Jen or I have any proclivity to want to destroy or kill. It's th- those are not verbs we are interested in, mm. um, especially Jen. Me, heck, I mean, I made my fortune making shooters, <laughs> um, which Jen is not really happy about, although she was happy to take that blood money. Uh, it wasn't blood money. <laughs> that siphon filter, it was digital blood. It was yeah. pixelated blood. Fine, pixelated blood I'll take. Uh, I don't even know if Jen knows about the taser and, cipher, and siphon filter. Do you know about the taser? I probably shouldn't tell you. Um, I made some violent games is all I'm saying. So I don't really have that much of a problem with it. But Jen is very much turned off by that. And we're both turned off by the one of the other key precepts of Ameritrash, which is a stronger... I mean, this is, to me, the key notion of what makes an Ameritrash game. The design focus is predominantly bent towards narrative and less towards gameplay mechanisms. It's not to say that there aren't cool, interesting, intricate gameplay mechanisms in an Ameritrash game, but it, when you're playing an Ameritrash game, it's first and foremost all about trying to create an ambiance and a mood and a story for you to experience. Jen and I, we appreciate that, but we're much more interested in a game that gives us rich, intricate puzzles and problems to solve. And that's and so hybrid games. I got nothing against them, but as a general, I can't think of any. I mean, there's probably a few, but yeah, we're just not drawn to them because we're just turned off by that second half. Next, oh, although, and I was for honey. Do you have anything to say on that? No, no, 
I agree with everything you said. Okay. Uh, question for me. Would you ever consider relooking at a game once you've decided you won't play it? Well, mm. when you... Hey, it's a question for me, lady. No, I mean, you decide you won't play it based on reading the rules, right? Yes. It's not that we get it here and you look at it and you set it up and you... I think there might be one or two games that that has happened over the years. Yeah, there's been a couple, but it's very rare. And, and as time has gone on, I've gotten better and better and better at evaluating games before yeah. they ever show up through the door. So it's rare that I'm surprised once it gets here. Sometimes Although, I'm lazy and I'll say, yeah, bring it, send it on out without reading the rules. And every time I find that, oh, I should not have done that. Just based on the pedigree of the designer or the publisher, or, or just I'm so excited about the setting or um, you know the description I read, but I, I try hard to avoid that. But anyway, I'm sorry. Why are we bringing that up, Pai Pai? Oh well, I'm just wondering. Won't play a game? How often do you look at a game again after you decide you won't play it? Well, no. I mean, there's games we that we've gotten rid of. Well, I, to answer your question, none, because once I've decided we won't play it again, I get rid of it because we don't have enough table space. Um, but like, what's a game that we did not like? Well, again, there aren't that many because we go out of our way to avoid getting those in the first place. Actually, I'll know what I'll do. I will go to niceguy.rotto.com where I keep an always monthly updated, up-to-date list of every game I've done a run-through for that Jen and I have decided, yeah, we're not keeping that. We're getting rid of that. So if you're ever curious, niceguy.rotto.com. Let's see. And most recently... So what? Okay, what's a game here on this list that we fundamentally? Some of most of these games are on here just because not that we didn't like them, but we just know we're not going to play them because it's too light. Like Looney Quest, the drawing yeah, game. That That's was, adorable. That's yeah, lovely. That yeah. But we know if we had kids, we'd keep it. Yeah. Totally, no brainer. But we're not going to play that a lot, so it's not worth uh, keeping. Um, but let's see, what's one we fundamentally did not like in here? Um, Arkwright. It was just too heavy. Too top-heavy, too long, no variable setup. So, as an example, what would it take for me to want to play Arkwright again? I can't think of anything. You can move heaven and earth, and I still wouldn't want to play that again. Maybe an expansion that addresses the core things we didn't like about it. But, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I guess... It's going to be pretty rare that I will, you know, once, I've de- once I've decided, or Jen, mm-hmm. it's as often as not for her. I mean, there are some games that I love and Jen can't stand, and there's plenty of games that, that I love that she can't stand. Either way, life's too short. There, and there's a mountain of games coming through the door every day. There's no time to go back and try something that we've already passed on. Yeah. All righty. Uh, Jen, this one's for you. Oh. What themes would you like to see more of? Oh my god! And also, what themes would you like to see less of? Okay, well, the uh, the less of one is easy to answer because I think that there is an awful lot of games out there uh, who've done the theme very well, um, and that is the going around the Mediterranean, what being a merchant, um, that sort of thing. Are you serious? Yeah, there's loads of games. But you're, and you're saying you you don't want to see that anymore. But if I set one of those on the table, you'd be like, eh, pass. No, I would never say, eh, pass. Okay. I'm just saying that that theme that has really been done well <laughs> and frequently. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, and you know, and also like, you know, the Romans conquering, all of that. I mean, I've just, I just feel that sort of that, that era has been done. Really. Somebody get on the phone to Tom Vassell and let him know that Jen agrees no more trading in the Mediterranean. 
Oh, is that a Tom Basil thing? It's a it's 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 a it's a, jo- a running joke he does that uh, you know he's vehemently opposed to trading in the Mediterranean. Oh, um, well, you know I'm I, I'm rather partial to the Mediterranean myself. Yeah, we kind of live there. We live here and stuff, but um, yeah, I just kind of I, I think it may also be just that. There's an awful lot of worker placement, a lot of pick up and deliver. Those are mecha- those aren't themes. The setting is what we're talking about. Okay, but just I'm just setting. saying because of those themes, which are also very well traveled territory in the gaming industry, and a lot of them are set in sort of the Mediterranean and or, you know. But for the record, times. I mean, because I'm really shocked by this. You are not saying that if I bring in another trading in the Mediterranean, which really doesn't necessarily mean there's trading, or even means it's in the Mediterranean. It's right. just it's it's, just it's a, a certain feel of game. There's yeah. a lot of them, Concordia style games, which actually is trading in the Mediterranean. But anyway, um, you know, goods production during Renaissance era. Yep. You know, economic Renaissance era setting games. That's a more specific, broad definition of what we're talking about. You've had enough of economic simulations uh, in antiquity slash Renaissance era stuff. I'm just saying that's been really done, and I would not mind seeing something new. Wow. But we play a lot of games. Okay. Well, the question wasn't to me, so let's continue. So that's what you'd like to see less of. What would you like to see more of? Um... Although I am shocked. My world foundations have been rocked to the core. Oh, dear. If anybody would ask what my favorite theme is, I would say trading in the Mediterranean. Oh, well, see, that so makes I can't it get enough continue of it. to doing I just more can't of it. get enough. I just can't get enough. There you go, folks. A um, anyway. He did a little dance as well. I'm sure you couldn't see that, but... Uh, I'm sure they could hear it through the mic. Yeah, the movement. The um, so what, what theme setting would you like to see more of? I mean, it could be one that you've already seen, yeah. or it could be something completely new and out of the blue. I just really like good art on a game. <laughs> what if it's good art in a trading in the Mediterranean game? Well, I, I think seascapes are beautiful and landscapes are ah, beautiful. Ah, so now so, you want them back. But again, you're talking about art. Themes, setting. Assume it's great, lovely, evocative, and inviting, colorful art. Do you, what, but what theme do you want that art put towards? Because that artist could have done any theme. Yeah. Uh, I think she was trying to duck the question. No, okay, I'm just going to say nature. I'm just going to say nature. Flowery nature. things, pretty landscapes, sunsetty things. I oh, don't know. I, okay. I guess okay. just nature. All right, Brian, you'll have to let us know if that is an adequate uh, uh, answer to your question. Um, I understand what you mean. I mean, still, that's... Yeah, I mean, I guess that passes muster. I mean, because obviously, well... We've been playing Mystic Veil, so of course she's thinking about that. Uh, and gosh, there are other ones. They're kind of few and far between. So okay, there you go. Nature. I mean, we just played Herbaceous, so I'm sure mm, that's still that in your mind. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Things that have to do with nature is what Jen wants to see more of. We'll be playing Lotus soon, as it happens. All righty. Next up. Let's see. This one. He didn't say who it's addressed to, so I guess it's both of us. Scantily clad minis. Throwback or relic? Do they have a place in the modern market, or are they scaring away potential players? And by this, he means little plastic miniatures that are the prototypical yeah. warrior lady in a chainmail bikini. Yep, with the heaving bosoms. Yes, the heaving bosoms. Now, uh, this has come up in the past. What was it? I think it was sword and sorcery, which uh, you know definitely. Has wonderful, gorgeous minis, but the female characters do... I mean, they're a bit better than chainmail bikinis, but they're still, they're still heaving, mm-hmm. as Gemma put it. And I remember 
when I did the run-through for that, I actually, you know, we had played the game and you hadn't even mentioned it. You hadn't commented at all. You wanted to play a female character, you played a female character, you didn't say anything, we just played the game. And when I was doing the run-through, I, I wanted to talk about the topic, so I asked you, yeah. well, what would you think about that? And you're like, what? About, what about females? And I said, no, but look at this mini. I mean, what do you think about it? And I remember your first response was, well, I don't like that she's wearing heels. Yep. And that was what you were out, you, you weren't particularly outraged, but that's what, if anything, you found upsetting. And at the time, you, I mean, you acknowledged, yes, she does have a heaving bosom and she could cover that up, but you didn't seem to be bothered. No, I'm not particularly bothered by heaving bosoms. Um, I think in general that the the human form is, is a lovely thing, mm-hmm. um, both male and female. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you got a really nice figure, uh, it's a heck of a lot nicer to see than... We live near a beach, and we see a lot of <laughs> fat guys in Speedos <laughs> and, and ladies who are not quite aware of the, the body Don't worry, folks. Have. If you ever come to the beach we live at, Jen is not standing by the window with binoculars oh, no. casting judgment on you. I'm not, as you... I'm not casting judgment. I'm just <laughs> saying that if you have that sort of body, yeah, I'd probably wear a chainmail bikini if I had that sort of body. All right, but here's the thing. So this is a this is a often hit-upon topic in large part because there is a perceived inequity yes. that... Yeah, they're, they're sexy characters. The miniatures in Sword and Sorcery, both the male and female, are sexy. Mm-hmm. But there is a different societal expectation of what man sexy versus lady sexy is. Yeah. Lady sexy shows a lot of skin. Man sexy doesn't. It's not like you see men with like just wearing... Like, Chainmail thong, speedos. Thongs yeah. or something. Um, and now the interesting thing is... I mean, I, although... Well, actually, I guess this is both those because you didn't specify... The tricky thing about that is, you know, yeah, dudes want to be titillated and see, see a lot of skin on women. Um, and I don't know. You know. I'm looking at what Jen's wearing right now. She's wearing a dress mm. with, what do you call this, a scoop cut yeah. that shows cleavage. Yep. And, I mean, you're not wearing that to be titillating, but that's woman's fashion. Yeah. Women's fashion in general across the spectrum shows skin, where men's, generally speaking, do not. I think that is a reflection less... I mean, I guess you could argue that's a reflection on the fundamental misogynistic nature of society where men run everything and men design all the clothes and force women to wear them, except I don't believe that's true. No, I don't think I that's believe true. our fashions, and in fantasy and board and science fiction board and the tropes are enhanced over the top, exaggerated fashions, are a reflection of what both sexes want to see. Men do want to see cleavage women don't necessarily want to see man cleavage i mean you're looking for something else yeah we're not looking for buttocks well no you're looking for a a well chiseled ass but you just don't necessarily want it falling out i mean you 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 like seeing tight pants and as a general (laughs) rule um sexy men i'm thinking gaston um and the fact you know i mean he he is a he is how a, tr- a typical fantasy male is, you know, big bulging muscles, that classic V shape, mm-hmm. um, you know, tight clothes, but still fully clothed, yep. but that accentuate. And I mean, you look at male models, that's kind of, I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I don't know that it's as much of a problem uh, as not. I mean, although, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you have a niece, 
Yes. Uh, if we were playing a game, would you want her to be exposed and say, oh, yeah, look, the, the man is wearing, you know, sexy dude. He's a big, strong, burly man. He's a, you know, he, he's, he's an attractive man. He's, a, you know, he's one that, you know, the male players aspire to and the female players like. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then, oh, and here's the lady. Now, how, how do you think uh, Zoe's going to respond to that? And do you want her exposed to that? Do you feel that that programs her? Sorry, folks, this yeah. is kind of outside. This is probably more in the personal realm, but... Brian sneaked in a, a hot topic <laughs> thing under the guise of games. Oh, there's a couple things about that, really. Um, I'm hoping, actually, that young ladies today, young women, young girls, are all being exposed to lots and lots of different influences and that they're not just considered anymore, that, that looks are all that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got brains. They're being taught sciences and maths and all sorts of things, those crazy things in schools, and, and to use their brains. And actually, that nerdy girls are you know, going to inherit the earth, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, there's, I think there's a lot more going on than there, there was even when we were growing up as mm-hmm. far as options and role models and things. So I'm not monumentally concerned about that, especially in a game playing environment, because just playing a game, you're using your brain anyway. You're figuring out answers to questions and puzzles and things, and you're not just say dressing Barbie up in sexy mm-hmm. costumes, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so I think I'm less concerned about it in a game format anyway. I think that in general, Americans are a bit prudish when it comes to sex, and that's certainly no surprise to anybody. That's a stereotype that everybody knows about. And having, you know, lived in Europe for, what, 10 years, 12 years now? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's definitely been something that I think it's been easy to see it is not something that we need, really need to be as concerned about, whereas Americans don't seem to mind violence, but do mind sex. So I'm just showing, Jen, I did a search for sexy game mini, and I'm showing her one. Yeah. So this is not a problem. Well, can I come back to that in a minute? Okay. Because I'm off on a tangent. Okay, yes. Continue with the tangent. Okay. So, where was, sex versus violence. Right. I am more concerned about violence than sex. So, let me just leave that there. But the other thing that I wanted to say is that I think that for the last couple thousand years, men have definitely been in control. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that scares me most about the way that the world history could be turning is that women would lose basic rights and we would become property again. And I don't think that that's a, the way to go. I think, you know, hey, why not utilize 50% of the world's brain power rather than just shutting it away behind closed doors? Uh, seems like a good plan to me. But anyway, so if we take an, a minute and we think about what might have happened if instead we'd grown up with a matriarchal society in the last couple thousand years and, and or an equalitarian society, and how, how things would be different. Would women still want to wear um, clothing that, that shows off their cleavage? Would they want to have tight clothing? Would they want to wear heels, for heaven's sakes? I don't want to wear heels. I never want to wear heels. Uh, so you're going to pull the camera no, off. that's fine. Okay. Duck's picking up his something from the floor. Your Very point carefully. Was. I just wonder where we would be if we had different leadership over the last couple thousand years. Well, there is nothing in today's society that is telling you to buy that dress you bought. I mean, and Other you could than... have you could have altered, you could have opted for a piece of clothing that 
doesn't show a little bit of cleavage, which you're wearing right now. And I, I, I'm not casting aspersion. I think it's totally fine. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, the reason I'm wearing this particular dress is it's hot. <laughs> sure. And it's loose and it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I am in my house. Nobody right. even sees me but except you, you. Yeah, but you would, go, uh, you would go to town wearing that dress as well. That's true. Yeah. I would. So it's, it's what's, well, you know, growing up, little boys, uh, as they're getting into their teen years, can't wait to start showing some facial hair. You know, it's like a mm. rite of passage. Yeah. And not that I was one, but my understanding is little girls wait for their breasts to come in. And yeah. it's a big, big deal. It's a big deal. And shaving our legs. And yeah, I mean, I would, uh, yeah, I mean, and does that mean little girls are objectifying themselves? Because should they be thinking, well, it doesn't matter if my boobs come in because I'm more than a pair of boobs. I'm a mind first and foremost. And who cares if they come in or not? Is it fundamentally unhealthy that girls, um, you know, worry about, you know, how big are my breasts going to be? I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know that it is. I know that there's a kind of societal expectation that maybe it should be inappropriate for them to think of themselves that way, but everybody wants to be attractive. Yeah. Nobody says, I don't care if I'm attractive or not. Anybody who says that, they're lying. Everybody would prefer to be attractive. Um, you know, it boosts their self-esteem and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a tricky thing. It's, but it's really kind of just born into our DNA. I mean... Girls, women, want to be attractive. And um, I don't know if it's a societal norm, but, you know, is it? I guess it probably is a universal norm around the world. Yeah. I mean, you look at Victorian-era um, uh, movies and, and shows, and what's with all the plunging necklines? You're supposed to be all uptight and all that, and yet, yeah. look, there, there's, there's the girls watch. for all to see. Yep. Um, because it's just so built into our DNA. And then, you know, and anyway, it, it comes out more directly and more obviously than anything else in gaming, um, you know, and in pop culture, fantasy, science fiction, tropey type things, well, which are all about, uh, you know, um, accentuating, you know, the, the, the elements. And, and it's certainly true that you will have to look a lot harder to find a not- super sexy female hero, whereas it's very, very common in TV shows and movies to have not sexy male heroes, and nobody thinks twice about it. Yep. But, um, you know, not sexy female, it's... Well, you think about Scooby-Doo. There was uh, Velma. I will. Velma. Mm-hmm. And even Velma wore short skirts. Yes. Yes, exactly. And Velma is a sex symbol, um, you know, amongst geeks. Because, oh, yeah, she, you know, she's sexy, but she's got the brain, and, oh, even her glasses are sexy, you know, and all of that. It's... Okay. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting thing. Yeah. But to okay, so Brian's original question, yeah. I, it's just some female assassin that is on Pinterest, a nice painting job. Yeah. Is that little miniature with the heaving bosom a problem? If you were going to play a fantasy game yeah. with me, is it a problem if you're going to play a fantasy game with Zoe? I would definitely, again, be, because she's young and impressionable, I would be more apt to try and find a miniature that wasn't quite so heaving mm-hmm. and with high heels and her butt's hanging out as well. Actually, this girl's not wearing high heels. Uh, it uh, looks like she's wearing high heel boots. Oh, no, you're right. It is. Yeah, she is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So for that purpose, but if I'm playing with adults, I think, no, we're all adults. We're okay. all consenting adults. Nobody's harming anybody else. Okay. Well, Brian, that was... Sneaking in a politically loaded question under the guise of game questions. I apologize for <laughs> everybody. That was Brian's fault. That wasn't on us. Let's get back to games. 
Okay, and we'll come back to his seven personal questions later, although he secretly had eight. All righty, next up, Matthew has a board game-related question. And he notes that Alchemists, which I've done a run-through for, was a great parody of academic research filled with little jabs and half-truths about academia that were all too real. Although it's a farce, it hits the nail on the head while being an enjoyable game. Is this something, um, and he thinks, he believes it's something that was lost on many gamers that do not have to deal with the insane system of academic research. So the question is, are there other games that um, you think the theme carries extra weight for those in the know, for lack of a better term? Um, hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're familiar, I mean, a good thematic game is certainly going to have stuff like that. I still have my my nice guy list open, so I'm looking at games we've gotten rid of. You know, Days of Ire was is a is a game that is steeped in histor history. It works its way in every step of the way through that game, and I would imagine for people who had family who lived through that, um, you know, whose parents maybe were directly affected by that, or even players who were affected by themselves. They're going to have an appreciation for that game that I would not. I can appreciate that game and say, wow, this has really opened my eyes to a, 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 a time in the world that I didn't really know much about. So, yeah, I would say a good thematic game that actually touches on real world, that's always going to be the case. That if you are somebody who gets it, who's on the inside, you're going to be able to appreciate it. So, yeah, there's probably lots of examples of that. Actually, actually, you you will often say if a manual has a lot of historical information in it. Yep, yeah, I always appreciate that too. There's another thing. Back to the first question. Um, although I guess it's kind of the same thing. Make the theme come alive in your manual. Make me, yeah. But anyway, let's see. Uh, and then he has a non-border related question, so we will have to come back to that. Now we have Alex from Portugal asking, "Do we have any?" expectations of Lyricon, you know, the thing we're going to early next year. Meeting local designers. Um, Oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Lacerdo and uh, Sol. I mean, I'm I'm super excited. I've wanted to go to this thing for years, so I'm very, very stoked about it. Um, I'm I'm sure, Jen, you're just more excited to be going to... Portugal. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, we'll we'll, we'll both have fun, but, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, I've really enjoyed these guys' games. I know there's always prototypes there every year. But, honestly, the biggest thing I'm going for, I'm looking forward to playing a game with Paulo, who I know will be there. That's going to be really, really awesome. Me too. So, if you had time to revisit some of your old favorites, your pandemics, your agricolas, would your opinion of them improve or degrade in the face of board game design evolution? In other words, if those games were released today by unknown designers, would they be would they be able to stand out? It's a good question. Hmm. Um, uh, so I, he's asking if our old favorites. Well, would still just be take our pandemic. Old... Yeah. Or Agricola. Um, if that were released today, and I put it down on the table and said, "Honey, we're going to play this game called Agricola." I guess it's a farming game. Yeah. And it's a worker placement. Here's the thing. It looks like set in the Mediterranean. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, I mean you know, we'd already understand, you know, obviously Agricola is one of the seminal worker placement games. It introduces a lot of people that were but anyway, if if we were playing that for the first time today and after I explained it to you, uh, and we played it, would you think, Well, that's a little derivative. Yeah, I don't really know. Or would you still think, Yeah, that was really good. That was really something. Oh. 
No, I, I think Agricola stands on its own, if, even mm-hmm. after all this time. Yep, I agree. I think it goes above and beyond. Um, it'd be a tougher one to say for Pandemic, because if we play Pandemic for the first time, we would think it's a ripoff of so many other games. But, I mean, because so many games have copied that formula. But even still, I would say it stands out, because there are key for both those games, there are key components... That even though Agricola, in all honesty, Agricola is not a very good worker. It's an okay worker placement game. I'm, I talked about this when I did my top 10 worker placement games and didn't put Agricola on the list because as a worker placement game, it's eh, it's fine. It doesn't really do anything special or neat. There are so many cooler, more exciting things that really make workers come alive and do wonderful, clever stuff. What makes Agricola so awesome is that hand of cards yep. that you, you um, start with. That, that, you know, And that that makes it eternal. I can't think of another game that's done that as well. And Pandemic, what makes that so special is, it's, again, it's the deck of cards. You know, um, having to reshuffle all the bad cards and put them back on top of the deck. That's brilliant. <sighs> that, um, that trumps pretty much any other Pandemic clone, um, at least that didn't really copy that. So I think, yeah, I think for the most part, I mean, in all honesty, every time I rank a new game, I don't do that out of context. I rank that compared to every game, and I go through my list and say, okay, oh, well, it's not as good as this. Oh, but it's definitely better than that. And I just keep going back and forth until... So I, you know, I tend to think my, my opinion of games don't really change very much. I don't think my top ten is going to... It's going to be a rare game that actually pushes its way in because those other nine games that would still be there after something else pushes in, I mean, are still just as good. Twa is still amazing. Um, you know, Nations is still stunning, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think so. And it doesn't sound like Jen would think so either. Yep, I agree. How, how do you feel about the influencing... I feel about influencing the board game industry um, by creating the Rotto effect, similar to the Wheaton effect. I, I acknowledge that that exists, and I'm not really crazy about it. I am forever trying to tell people to please disregard my personal subjective opinions on games. The only value my videos offer anybody is a chance to virtually sit at the table and experience what that game offers. That's why I spend... I, you know, Some people don't like it, but that's why I spend so much time talking about what strategic and tactical options you have and what kinds of decisions you have to make. Because a video that just says, well, here's structurally how the game works, is only telling half the story. The story of a game where the rubber hits the road is the decision you have to make. And that's why I... That's why I do the videos the way I do because I'm trying to let you get a sense for what it feels like. And then it doesn't matter what I think. But I know people care what I think about. And you know my top 10 videos are my most watched things, even though they're 100% opinion pieces. And really, Jen and I, me even more than Jen, maybe, have such a narrow, myopic perspective on what we personally enjoy. I mean, if you rely solely on us, I mean, you're missing out on so many wonderful things just because we don't like them. But... Yeah, so I realize I have a big impact. I realize that, you know, as you say, your, your question, especially Kickstarter games, you know, me putting a video out can make a really big difference. And in an industry where a game is a smash hit if it sells 10,000 units, it's a, it's a success if, it's, if it sells two to five. And it just like, you know, a smash hit if it sells 10. I know that my videos can translate to hundreds, if not thousands, of sales. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard it directly from publishers who confirm that to be true. So it's, it is an awesome responsibility. And I really wish it weren't the case. But it is what it is. 
Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, and by the same token, you know, Will Wheaton, he 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 can translate to tens and hundreds of thousands of units sold. I mean, he puts a, a game on a show; it's then going to be sold in Target, and it goes from you know a tiny little audience to a ridiculously huge mass market audience. So yeah, um, how do I feel? <clears throat> I feel uh, I, I feel like it's a big burden that I'm not particularly crazy about having, um, but it is what it is. Let's see. Both shows, oh, uh, Tabletop and Raw and Rod runs through are different. Do you watch some of Rod? Oh no, Rodney Smith's watch it played videos or take inspiration from it regarding production values. <laughs> um, no, I do not take any inspiration from Rodney because my gosh, I understand. You know, I've worked in the video game industry. I was I worked on putting you know promotional videos together. I know how much work it is. I know from firsthand knowledge. How backbreaking what Rodney does is, and before him, Dragon Strike, and you know there are, there are certainly other uh, um, board game video folks who put in so much more work. It's such a labor of love for them to edit and put together and be thoughtful. And I, I can't do it. Um, I take no inspiration from them. I mean, I'm in awe of them, but I'm certainly not inspired to emulate them because I'm lazy. The reason I film the way I film is because. Um, I'm trying to do as little as possible. Although it's ironic, that often means I end up having to do a lot more than I otherwise would. Because if I did edit, when I make a goof, I could just, you know, or when I suspect I'm about to make a goof, or when I don't quite remember a rule when I'm doing a run-through, okay, I'll just stop and I'll edit this in or out. But nope. Um, I either do the whole thing in one take, or I throw away 15, sometimes 20, sometimes 30 minutes of video and start over from scratch. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm never really going to be able to provide that kind of high-level stuff. Just like Will Wheaton, Wheaton's not going to. He just sits down and plays the games. Um, he has a team. I mean, each one of those episodes, man, man, tabletop episodes, they must cost 30000 40000 bucks to produce. I mean, it, there's a lot of very talented people who charge a lot of money, who make good salaries to be able to put something together with that level of professionalism. It's amazing that Rodney, by himself, as one man, matches that level. Um, and, of course, it's why he makes a lot more making his show than I do with mine. And that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Okay, that was it for Alex. Although we'll have to come back to him because he also has private ones. So let's move on to Nick Honeypie. Okay. Unless you had something you wanted to add to all that. I don't have anything to add to that. Okay, right. Nick says, What do you like most about Rado Runster, becoming Rado? The obvious answer is the freeish games. Um, so, other than that, what do you like most? And what do you like least? Well, coincidentally, I just kind of talked about, well, I don't know. It's, I'm lazy. It's work. I don't like work. I am terrible at retiring. Uh, Jen and I had a discussion recently where mm. I just had to come to that realization. I am not very good at being retired because if it... Yeah, well, I mean, you would like to be better at being retired. Yes, I would. You're not very good at... <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, no. This is my own fault. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've been always been open and honest about this. I started Rotto Runs 2 because I retired from full-time employment. The only way that was going to work was by severely curtailing our discretionary spending budget. Yeah. And at the time I was paying, you know, four or five thousand grand you know, no, four or five thousand bucks a year buying games. And I didn't want to sacrifice that. I still wanted to be able to play new games. And so I knew I wouldn't be able to do it. And so I figured, well, hey, maybe I should try making a video series. I know Tom Vassell gets a lot of free games. Maybe I can too. 
Little did I know, there's nothing free about it. It is so much work. And I have just gone from one full-time job to another full-time job. Making video games to now making board game run-throughs. And it's a much better job because at least I'm working for myself. And any frustrations I have, I can only direct inward. So that's a good thing. But yeah, what do I like about at least? It's work. Left to my own devices, I don't want to work at all. What do I like most about it? Well, you said other than the free-ish games. <laughs> um, let's see. We meet wonderful people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, what I like most about it is that I do know in my heart of hearts that I'm helping people. That's what I love most about making video games, too. Um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of cool things. I mean, I've worked with great people that were really funny and, you know, there's a sense of accomplishment of putting a game out and it was, you know, very gratifying when it got good reviews and crushing when it got bad reviews. But probably the thing I enjoyed most or I took the most pleasure from making video games was knowing that million, literally millions of people would have their lives improved, even just a tiny bit, even just for a tiny window of time by playing and enjoying my games. And I took that very seriously. And I would say the same thing is true on a much smaller scale for Rotto Runs Through. I, I mean, I guess I could say oh, I like that people can make informed decisions about buying games, which is arguably the whole point of my show, is I try to let you decide for yourself whether it's a game for you. But I know just a lot of people enjoy watching the show. And it makes me happy to know that I'm making other people happy. So there's that. Well, and I think you've positively impacted a lot of people's lives because they email us to tell us so. Yeah, yeah. And those emails... Just yep. Yeah. Some of us make some of make us cry. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and into show question. Oh, oh no. Yeah, that's that's later. Okay, so we're gonna have to come back to Nick for his other question. So Phil asks, "What is my? Oh yeah. Oh, this is kind of a two and one. What's my favorite historical time period, and do I enjoy games set in that period? Oh, hey, you never answered the the question about." What you would like to see more themes of, and because he didn't ask me. Oh, he didn't. He ask said you. that was specifically for you. Oh well. Didn't care what okay. I thought. Well, so I'm okay. not going to answer. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he doesn't get to know. <laughs> Let's see. So, um, and Phil, interestingly, Phil addressed this one at me, and then the second question to you. But you can okay. answer if you want, Honey Pie. Um, my favorite historical time period, I, in terms of, I don't really have one. I'm not a big history buff. I never really have been. I mean, I, I guess. Dark Ages, medieval stuff. I remember when I was being homeschooled growing up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say you know feudal era Europe. I did enjoy that stuff. And it's mostly because, oh, wow, it's really kind of close to fantasy dragons and stuff. You can almost imagine reading about the feudal system and, and um, all that stuff. The dragons are there, and I know they're not. But growing up, that's why I like But as an adult, no, I mean, I, I like it all equally. I love antiquities. I love the American West. I love finding out um, history of Asian countries. I mean, I like it all equally, so I don't necessarily have a favorite, I don't think. And uh, as such, yes, I enjoy games set in any period. I'm pretty theme agnostic. I like all, I like all of them. But honey, do you have a favorite historical time period? Oh, I think probably the whole King Arthur thing with So the same thing basically. I thought for sure you were going to say um Jane Austen style sense and sensibility because you devour TV shows and books along those lines. Yeah, I do enjoy that. So I'm yeah. surprised you didn't well, go straight there. That's very similar the chival- chivalry kind of stuff is. Mm-hmm. I I I do like that kind of time. Okay. Anyway, uh, Phil's second question was for you, but it is we'll have to get to it in the uh, the flip flop, the second okay. half of the show. So, you... mysterious. Oh no, Ken. Ken asks, 
Given how I often talk about enjoying dice drafting and multi-use cards, are there particular games you would recommend as the ideal representation of each of those gameplay mechanisms? For instance, if you had not played a game containing either dice drafting or multi-use cards, what games would you add to your collection first? Uh, easy answer for that is go to games.rotto.com. You might have to refresh it a couple of times because it queries the Board Game Geek database, so it doesn't necessarily always show up the first time. That is a list ranked from favorite to least favorite every game I've got. Go to the top of the list, find the first multi-use dice drafting whatever, and that would be the one I would choose. I am constantly keeping that up to date, so you'd be able to find your answer there, Ken. Then, what's this guy's name? Um, John. John asks, let's see, he starts with the non-game-related stuff. So let's scroll down here to the game-related stuff. Why do you think you are predisposed to rank... Oh, uh, total coincidence. I was talking about my ranked list. Why am I predisposed to rank things the way that I do? Uh, I, I enjoy it. It's, uh, you know, it. Actually, it's something I always drive Jen nuts yeah. about because I'm always trying to get her to contrast and compare A and B. And she's like, I like them both. Yeah, Why can't I just like them both? <laughs> you must like one more than the other. Oh, I like apples and oranges. No, which is better, apples or oranges? I also like blackberries. What, rank them, top three. Apples, oranges, and blackberries. <laughs> no, I you like You can them do all. it. Come on, that's easy. I even know the answer. It's going to be oranges, apples, and number one, blackberries. It's totally going to be that. Well, that's true. But there you go. Fruit is easy. <laughs> and yet you even still don't want to wreck it. Uh, it's, I just enjoy, I enjoy making lists. I, 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 I cannot think to why that is uh, bringing order to chaos, I guess. It's just a fun mental exercise. I really enjoy it. I, I'm sorry I cannot give a better answer as to why, though. How do you reconcile your propensity to rank things with the facts that you have very few or infrequent plays of each game that you rank? Uh, for instance, you rank Agricola as your number two game of all time. When was the last time you played it, and how many times have you roughly played it? Well, that's probably not going to help you. I've played Agricola. We've played Agricola over 30 times, somewhere yeah. between 30 and 50 times. I couldn't say exactly because we had Agricola back before I started doing Rotto Runs Through. We yeah. played Agricola every week for not quite a year. We played it a lot back in the day. So that's really not your point. Um, yeah, what you're really talking about is games post Rotto Runs Through, where, as a general rule, yeah, I play it once, twice. Three times a lady, and then it gets ranked, <laughs> and it goes on the shelf or goes on the trade pile. And how can I reconcile that? Uh, well, I would argue, as I mentioned earlier in the run th in this particular podcast, please bear that in mind. I am perhaps not making the most informed conclusions about games, um, and you should completely ignore my subjective views and my subjective rankings and instead draw your own conclusions from the run-through. That would be the main way I'd reconcile it. I would say if anybody wants to take exception to how I rank something, please ignore how I rank it. I think it's perfectly reasonable for you to disregard any subjective opinion I give on a game. That said, how do I reconcile it within myself? I think in large part because I made games for 20 years. And so I spent 20 years professionally thinking 60, 70, 80 hours a week about gameplay mechanisms, uh, gameplay structures, impact on players from those gameplay mechanisms and structures. I have a very analytical mind towards gameplay. I have a hard time turning that off. And uh, I think particularly in, uh, considering the fact that Jen and I play such a wide variety of games, 
and such a high volume of games that, and considering my personal background, that I'm pretty comfortable with those calls I make. As often as not, I've got a pretty good idea how I'm going to rank a game based on reading the rule book. I mean, when I read a rule book, and I, I mean, I sometimes have as much fun doing that. I mean, what was the most recent one? Uh, Covert. I was reading the rules like, oh, wow, that's really clever. Oh, my gosh, that's so smart. And then what was it? When I got to the, oh, how they do Intel cubes, I mean, I literally laughed out loud. So I thought, man, that's brilliant. And I couldn't wait to try it. And it, it proved all those things were phenomenally awesome in the game. That's how I reconcile it. I, it may sound like I'm big on myself, but I'm kind of an expert. Uh, through, I mean, I don't know. If how you want to define being an expert, but if making them for 20 years gives you expert status, I'd like to think I've, I've gained that. And having an encyclopedic knowledge of all the games yeah. that we've played. I mean, that said, I certainly wouldn't feel qualified to rank a bunch of war games relative to each other because I just fundamentally don't like them. Yep. Um, I rank games that I actually like. I rank them compared to other games that I like because I know whether I like A, B, or C better. Um, yeah. I don't know if, and so that's how I can feel comfortable ranking a game that I've only played a couple of times. It helps, of course, that I'm ranking against, you know, 300 other games yep. that I've only played a couple of times. So I can have a consistency there as well. I don't know if you have anything you want to say about that. Because you don't, because you don't care about ranking stuff for the most part. No, but I mean, even going back to your days in Nintendo, you were one of the most requested gameplay counselors. Um, <laughs> there, I mean, people would call and ask for you yes. particularly because mm-hmm. you knew a lot about games. Yeah. And you knew, yeah, and you didn't have to look stuff up and you weren't just BSing them to get them off the phone. <laughs> you were actually helping them. So that just continues on to this day. You're helping people still. Aw, shucks. Yeah. Aw, shucky ducky. All right. <laughs> um, let's see. Another question from John. Although, um, let's just finish. Jen's saying we need to take a break, but we're just going to finish John's last question. Okay. Do you think you'll be able to shake the habit of voraciously consuming information on new games and buying and playing them? Oh, oh he's at, looking forward to the future. Someday, Rado runs through. Will stop. When that happens, will I shake the habit? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I very much enjoy researching games. I do it because it's kind of my job. But I think, I mean, I was doing it before it was my job. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. It's, it's my hobby. It's my passion. Yeah. Uh, the same way people read car magazines or, you know, follow sports yeah. voraciously. Well, it's not like we're, if Rado stops that we're going to stop playing games. You're going to still continue looking at what games are coming out and figure out what yeah. games we want well, to play. Well, yeah, the reality stuff. is when, when, I, when I set out on this, it's because we decide, you know what? This home retirement thing, to make it all work, one game a month. Like, ah! And that kind of harkened back to when we were in our 20s. Remember living in the apartment? Yes. That yellow apartment? And the budget said, you can buy one video game a month. And that was it. <laughs> and I had to live by that for yep. years until um, you know, we were doing better in our lives. And when I retire for realsy reels, I'll have to go back to that. So, yeah. I mean, heck, the, the evaluation and the study and the research will have to become even more intense. If I can only get 12 games a year... Man, I'm going to have to really study the heck out of these things. So, yeah, if anything, it'll probably become uh, even more. Uh, right, okay, and so that was it. And so, Jen would like to take a breather. We are, folks, we're about halfway through the game-related questions. We haven't even gotten to the personal well, questions Well, we haven't yet. had lunch yet, so why don't we and have lunch? we haven't lunch? had lunch yet. So, so, hey, everybody, why don't you hold on a sec? We'll be back shortly. Okay, everybody, we are back, we are rested, we are refreshed. 
Well-fed. Well-fed. I had some delightful, I had the last of the egg salad. Jen had some cottage cheese with whatever it is you put in that, that mm. fish stuff. Yeah, it's, a, it's like smoked salmon spread. It's yep. delicious. She loves it. She wants to marry it. She loves it so much. And we are back <laughs> with a question, a few questions from Christian. First of all, one specifically for you, Honey Pie. Yes. Are there any games in the collection that you want to play more than Rotto? Any Ooh. games I've traded away that you're disappointed about? I would not remember what you've traded away. <laughs> so That is true. Yep. Uh, and are there games... <clears throat> I mean, I would be able to answer yeah. both those questions better than you, but I'm, apparently she can think of something. Yeah, I mean, I always wanted to play... Escape more than you did. I always wanted to play Roll for the Galaxy more than you did. I yeah. always wanted to play, what's the one where you put the cubes in the um, thing and they come down? Amerigo. Amerigo more than you. So, yes, and quite I love often. all those games, for yep. the record, but oh, yeah. Jen loves them more, I guess. Yep. I mean, yep. Well, probably really anything on the wall I want to play more than he does, with the exception of maybe um, uh, Crossfire. Uh, which one am I thinking of? Shadow, Shadow Run, Run Crossfire. Crossfire. That's your favorite game to play. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I enjoy it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that's the one you want to play more than I do. And uh, I would say everything else on the wall, I probably care more about playing again than you do. Okay. Is that fair? Sounds good. Okay. And uh, as for one, she'd be disappointed. <clears throat> I mean, it's there are one. Someday... The voters will say yes to the top ten of games Jen and I have disagreed on. It's been on the ballot several times, and it's never actually made it. I'm always surprised. I think people would be interested in that. But, yeah, there's a handful of games. Like, the biggest one I can think of, the one I always think of at the top of my head that I got rid of because I hated it, not because Jen hated it, was Tigers and Euphrates, which she had loved. And you won't even remember what it is now. <laughs> You'd recognize it if we got it out again. And, yeah, Jen absolutely adored it, whereas me, I couldn't stand it. But there's a few here and there. It happens every once in a while. But let's see. What else has Christian asked about? He has a very long... He's very verbose. While Jen was answering, I was reading through his other stuff here. So, next one is... Has to do with... What would you say? The crossover between board game publishers and board game reviewers. This is kind of an ethics in board game journalism. A board gamergate question, if you will. And fortunately, Jen doesn't even know what gamergate is, and, and she's happier for it. You don't want to know, honey pie. Uh, she said, "What? What are you talking about?" Okay. okay. So his specific question is: What is Rado run through policy about getting involved with production while also being a reviewer? In fact, actually, his full question is about three paragraphs long. But in a nutshell, he's wondering about. You know, uh, Tom Vassell doing a review of Nothing Personal and uh, Lance Meister continuing to do reviews now that he is an actual employee of Tasty Minstrel Games. And there's been, you know, what's it, uh, uh, Crits Happen Knox becoming, you know, a fairly high-level executive now in the board game industry and whatnot. Um, again, really, it's... Well, okay, my policy is I guess I'm not going to do it and I do think for I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but for myself, I do like the notion of keeping a wall of journalistic ethics, for lack of a better term, 
people always offer to ha- to pay for my videos, and I always say no. In fact, sometimes they go ahead and pay anyway, and then I have to say no, please. Like uh, for instance, there was a there was a game that was sent to us, and every once in a while, when games get sent here, we end up having to pay sizable import taxes, like 30 or 40 euros sometimes in taxes when these games get sent to us. And whenever that happens, I do say to the publisher, hey, could you reimburse me? Because I had to pay 40 bucks to receive this game. And so one time that happened, and the guy said, oh, and I'll throw in an extra 100. He's like, no, no, no. And I sent that extra 100 right back to him because that's just a line that for me personally... I don't think uh, I want to cross. I do not begrudge anybody else. I know I'm one of the few high-level board game video personalities who doesn't charge. And I don't because I come from the video game industry where it is true. I mean, there are, you know the charges are legitimate. There's definite corruption that goes on there. Now, that said, I'm, I'm hesitant because I don't believe that somebody paying you to do a preview of a game or whatnot is implicit proof of corruption, I tend to want to think the best of people, and I do. I take them at their word when they say that this is their own personal opinion and they were not swayed by the fact that the publisher paid them to do the video. Because why would I believe they lie? If they lie uh, and consistently do it and start giving nothing but good reviews to bad games in exchange for cash, they won't be in business long. Arg! Oh, sorry about this, folks. It's right at this moment that Jens Lapelmike decided to go off the deep end and for the remainder of this podcast emitted a really terrible, terrible hum. I have done the best I can within the limits of audacity to try to strip that out, but it has made the rest of this podcast sound a little, I don't know, 1930s radio-ish. So just imagine we are going back in time to a simpler time. We're all getting around, the the family's getting together around the radio. We're going to listen to a couple of people continue to talk about various and sundry things. And i got to get a new lapel mic. Okay, back to it. Long story short... I get no. I, for me personally, I try to keep that discretion, and I and I. But you know, it's not just because of ethics. It's also because when it boils right down to it, I am not a particularly social, outgoing person. I'm very much a wallflower, introvert, an introvert. Uh, it's tricky going to all these big conventions because, yeah, the publishers, they do want to, hey, let's go out and have a beer. We really want to say, at the very least, okay, I appreciate you won't let us pay you. Let me buy you a beer. There's nothing wrong about that. And I always try to get out of it, not because I'm worried about the implicit corrupting nature of a beer, but because I don't want to go out to the bar and, and have a beer. I just want to go back to the room and go to sleep or hang out with my wife if she's there. I mean, no offense. I mean, I, 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 they're all. I mean, everybody I've met in the board game industry, they're wonderful, funny, charming people that I enjoy being around and talking to. But if I go to a bar, I've got this weird hearing thing where once there's any kind of background noise, I can't understand a thing you're saying. Uh, I, I hate public social events in loud areas because it's just painful for me. I spend the entire time just nodding and smiling and watching body language and trying to make appropriate, hmm, oh, ah, you know, type responses because I don't know what anybody's saying because I've just got this weird hearing thing. My hearing is actually very good, but I just can't pull voices out of a crowd. So, and yeah, so I I tend to kind of keep my distance for that reason. But, I mean, I, I think it's... I, I'm happy for Lance, Undead Viking, that he is now 
a member of Tasty Mitchell Game. I will admit, I think it's kind of weird that he continues to do videos now that he's a member of Tasty Mitchell because the argument that could be made, and for the record, I do not believe this is a valid argument. I've talked a lot with Lance. I've hung out with him. I've had a great time socializing with him. He's a wonderful person. He's a genuinely good man, although he's a little bit too bitter and jaded about politics. But other than that, he's a genuinely good person. But one, if they wanted to, could cast aspersions on his character and say, oh, he continues to do videos even though he's a member of Tasty Minstrel Game so he can put Tasty Minstrel up and tear down the competition. Now, of course, if you pay attention, Lance doesn't do negative reviews. He only does videos on games he actually likes. So that holds no water. But it's interesting. When I was in the video game industry, we were trained. I was media trained. It's very, very important because we have online personas in the era of social media and all that, that we are never to speak ill about anybody else's games. You're you're not supposed to fire that first shot across the bow and create a a flame war between other developers. Because at the end of the day, all developers, we're in the same boat. Even if we're competitors, we're, we're on the same side. And so, yeah, it's kind of weird, this notion that it, it, it strikes me as odd, just because I'm trained against it. It's against my very nature that a developer could actually be making public commentary about somebody else's games. That said, while I would never do it, I don't begrudge Glance doing it. He doesn't, Lance, he doesn't have the same background as me, the media training and all that. So, and, and he's a good person. He's doing it out of the goodness of his heart. He's doing it from a place of joy. A place of love, a place of happiness. His love for the game. The happiness doing the videos brings him. He's not doing it for any kind of nefarious means. And whenever anybody expects that there is something there, I mean, you're smelling smoke that doesn't even exist, let alone a fire. You're looking for... And so, I don't know, That's a, I feel like I'm all over the place answering this. But to be fair, you asked a very long, rambling question. But the, the specific question you asked... Uh, my policy, yeah, I'm in no particular inclination to blur the lines between production and uh, commentary. Let's see. And that was it for that. Would I ever consider doing a top ten list for games that feature player conflict? I'd be totally up for that. That's another topic that has come up on the ballot several times over the last couple of years, but the voters never choose it, which strikes me as odd, but someday I will. Because I imagine I could probably scrape up 10. Let's see here. And, oh, okay, and the other one's private or personal, so we'll come back to Christian later for his last question. Honey, I don't know if you had anything to say about all that business. I don't. Okay. Other than it's always better to build up your own castle rather than tear someone else's down. Oh, that's beautiful. I agree. Oh. Okay. Okay, wow. You made it all the way through that. I am impressed. You must be a true Rotto fan. And thanks for sticking it out. I guess I owe you an explanation if you've made it this far. Here's the full dealio. What happened was, Podcast 14, we recorded all those questions. Did okay. Didn't have time to do all the personal stuff. That was fine. The original plan was to just do them in Podcast 15. And Jen was about to take off for England for a month to go get Gertie and all of that, or a couple of weeks. So... Right before we Jen left, the day before she left, we sat down and actually recorded all of those personal questions, or most of them anyway. And the intent was, hey, I'd do podcast 15 would be all the personal questions plus the Gen Con preview. A few days after Jen left, 
I was a total complete moron and deleted all of it. All of those questions, all two hours of those personal questions about favorite ice creams and whatnot, all deleted. They're like, ugh. Okay, so I went ahead by myself and recorded podcast 15. And when Jen finally got back, we, you know, and, you know, and then actually a few weeks after that. So now we're talking well over a month, a month and a half. I don't remember the exact time frame. Six, seven weeks later, we sit down to re record all of those Rotto day to day life, Jen and Rotto personal question type things. And of course, we'd already done them all. And, uh, but, but it had been several weeks, so we didn't really quite remember. You know, I kind of remembered what my favorite book was. So in the original podcast, you heard me and Jen kind of casting around, oh, I don't know, what's my favorite thing, and all that. So we were, uh, uh, we were basically just repeating our answers, although there was still a lot of stuff, and more things came up. I think Jen gave a much better answer about her personal life in this, this time than she did last time, as an example, or you know, her childhood. But anyway, so since we had to re-record all this stuff, I, I got out the list of questions, started recording and because this was the second time we were recording all the personal questions neither Jen nor I noticed we were also re-recording all of those game related questions a second time it just didn't even occur to us because we're, we at the, by this point we're eight weeks later we don't remember what we've answered and what we haven't answered and um, so we just recorded the whole thing and that's how you got that extra bonus content take two to all those questions about board game journalism, ethics, and all the rest of it. So, there it is, folks. The full story for the hardcore fan who stuck it out to the very end. And, once again, I'm going to say thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a very, very nice day. Don't worry. Podcast 17 will be a little bit more straight and narrow. We won't be mixing things up quite so bad. So, talk to you then. Have a nice day. So long. Bye-bye.